all gene-based vaccines, independent of manufacturers, produce the same result in the vaccinees. He has looked at 15. In the last four days, the number has been increased to 70 individuals who died after vaccination. These were people who died at home, at work, in the car, doing their sports, etc., etc., etc. There's no question now anymore about what is going on. And the answer is, in the organs of these people, in 90%, he found clear evidence for autoimmune self-attack by killer lymphocytes on the tissues. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. An important reiteration. We're going to go over some information that we've talked about on this platform, this show, for a long time. An excellent article written by Whitney Webb all the way back in 2020. Some information that we've broken out on this show that we've discussed at different segments in different ways. Today, we're going to kind of patch a lot of this together, hopefully bringing back what we were talking about right in the beginning to make sense with what's happening today. And this really does get into some of the things that even even people that are aware of how this is going today are going to be, you know, around want, feeling uncomfortable. It's just conspiracy theory. You know, remember, remember what was called conspiracy theory when this first started and remember what that's being called now, such as things like this causing myocarditis or any of the things that we know this is now verifiably causing or the efficacy or the fact that it stays in your shoulder muscle. It doesn't go in your bloodstream and on and on and on. I'll make points about this more as we go through. Just amazing how almost every single thing that was stated has turned out at the very least to not be what it is now, whether diminished or not at all, or just completely the opposite of what they told us. And apparently still exactly the same, safe and effective, but totally still safe and effective, apparently. Save it effective, save it effective, over and over and over. That's all just mantra. Keep just knocking it down. But we're going to show today that the information was wrong to, be, to start, as we know, that they knew that this wasn't what they said it was in the beginning. The question is why? There's a lot, a lot that it could be. I think what's most important is to just look at what we can prove using the research I'm talking about and show you what they were, they were aiming at before COVID-19 and how weirdly the direction this has taken is lining right back up with that today. But I am going to start with some foreign policy around specifically Ukraine, but as it pertains to these bio labs, which is very relevant to the larger conversation of today. Pretty much everything we're going to go over today, as some of it may seem not connected, but it all ultimately ties back to the larger point, excuse me, of really the DARPA focus, the NIH focus on what they were experimenting with before this. Things we talked about before, such as Ralph Barrick and specifically the NIH and North Carolina University working on coronavirus weaponized to create myocarditis it's crazy right and we've already talked about this for those that haven't heard that we i'll show you the show we did a while ago when that first was seen 
but it's very interesting. That story alone should make you stand back and go, okay, is that what's happening right now? Is that what was made to happen? Was it an accident? Did it get out by accident? There's all questions, and we're never going to tell you we know these things because I don't think anybody other than those involved know this for sure. We need to be okay saying we don't know, but we'll go through what we can prove today. So we'll start with Ukraine specifically on something that was just recently circulating. <clears throat> now, that, that I'll, I'll tell you right now that just like everything else we're talking about, this is just a video put out by people on the ground. They could be wrong. They could be lying. They could be misinforming on purpose, especially in the middle of a war. That's always, always there, whether it's Russia, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's the United States, whether it's anybody. It's just frustrating that it's an absolute when it comes to one guy, one side, and the other side is never possible. You're lying if you don't know for sure. It's, you know, it's hypocritical. It's, it's selective choosing, choosing, cherry picking which ones you want to trust and which ones you don't. But this is really important because of the overlap of what the labs were doing. You know, Victoria Newland herself has admitted that they have what you would call dual, what we would all call dual use, which means weapons. If they can be weaponized, they are weapons especially in the hands of extremists. Then we can fall back on the realization that we've proven throughout this process that these things are weapons. The simple, childish argument that they're making things in a lab that have never existed anywhere else, just in case the one in a billion chance that some somebody somewhere else in the world is making that same thing in a dangerous way so you have a vaccine made for that one in a billion chance. Because that just makes sense, doesn't it? Realize that the risk even if that's true, that comes along with that being present in the world is far, far more risky than the one in a billion chance of somebody just so happened to alter this thing in the gain of function way just the way they did. And now we have a vaccine. Thank God. It's just it's just so silly that they would even argue that people like Dr. Boyle have made this clear. He feels that all of these things are bioweapons. He's argued that every single incidence of Things like Ebola, for example, are a stone's throw away from the labs in Africa. Now, I don't want to get too far off course. To start today, and don't forget the overarching point in general, just the title itself, the NIH, the DARPA NIH COVID weapon, the, or that, rather the myocarditis weapon, the DARPA DO, uh, NIH COVID experiment, which I argue, which is all of what we're going through today and possibly the weaponization of that concept. So in Ukraine, here's a video we'll start with of allegedly of the of these uh, Russian entities finding uh, a, a lab, which we do know are there for sure called Pharma Biotest, which I will confirm is definitely a lab that was there, and what they found there. And then I'll go on to show you what people are arguing about this. It's very interesting. And this is in English, so we just uh, turned up so you can hear it. They grow bacteria in here, both pathogenic and non-pathogenic bacteria. And when they get them in good quantities, in enough quantities, they can use them to contaminate either medicines or people. All this equipment is foreign. Mostly the supplier of equipment were in Europe or in the U.S. Here it's The argument being this is all stuff provided from outside sources, West for the most part. Now, I would agree, as people pointed out, it seems they're being quite cavalier with what they're handling. Seeming as that they couldn't know for sure what that would be, right? It seems a little, a little ridiculous, ultimately. But the point comes down to that this is something we know does exist. There's not a question of that. On top of that, we have to realize that Russia probably does the exact same thing. Now, I don't know. I can't prove that. There's probably examples of arguments being made. Personally, even doing research on it, I haven't found examples of 
basically like a lab that's been exposed, that's been leaked or that's been used or the people around the labs are complaining about what they're doing. Like we see everywhere the U.S. government seems to be present. That does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that Russia specifically is not actively doing the same thing. I think every single government is actively doing this, even if you want to pretend it's for some kind of just in case defense. So we understand it perspective, which I find childish. But regardless, we find this happening and and we know that Victoria Newland has admitted that they do have labs with these. And I mean, it's just very simple with, with what we've proven that these people are dangerous. And not even because of what we're saying today, but literally because of what the corporate media wrote about them 30 seconds ago, really, you know, pre-February 24th, like literally February 23rd, writing about exactly what these entities are in Ukraine, fascist, neo-Nazis, and indeed actual Nazis. And then suddenly now it's okay that they're in control of high-tech weaponry and bioweapon. It's, it's ridiculous. But the point is that this is supposed to be coming from outside. Now, the argument comes into play that people around this prior to this were arguing that they were being tested on against their will. I mean, all these things need to be fleshed out. You don't just skip, push them off the table and say must be Russian propaganda because that doesn't even make sense, seeing as how most of these parts, at least independently, can be proven. Pharma biotests. Okay, you can see the, the image right there, clinical and diagnostic center. So the first thing, obviously, that we do is find out whether or not that exists, right? Just as an entity. So first, you can see that here's their LinkedIn page. I'll show you the, the actual videos in a second, or rather, uh, websites. Pharmaceutical manufacturing. Manufacturing. Bio, farm biotest is a bridge by which new medicines come to people to improve their lives. This one is simply on the... By, by the way, it was a little bit difficult to find some of this stuff. I had to, That's why I'm showing this, because when you click on this, it doesn't even go to... The, it's a long story, but at the Pharma Biotest Overview, Signal Hire Company Profile. Here is... The video posted on, uh, what was this, the Russian embassy in London. Same point. So it's coming from Russia. So bear that in mind when you're watching this. This is, or rather just we're going to skip through and show a couple points. Here is the sign of this that company in Ukraine. Now starting off, he says, when we were working in the area, we received information from the local population, which has been discussed long before this. The pharma biotest company was located here in which some research was conducted on people on residents of the area. Now, remember, this is the main point we were discussing before. If we know that groups like, well, specifically Newland admitted that they had been doing this and funding them and arming their rather, that's what I would argue, but giving them supplies in this regard to protect us from dangerous biomaterial, even though they're the entities threatening these things under the people, what else was happening? This is what they're getting into. Were we watching people being tested? for these kind of things before it got rolled out to the world? Like, these are questions we should be asking because the argument is there was un unauthorized testing of people in places like, I guarantee you, pharma companies, governments do this all over the world to test things, whether military or pharma, just civilian related in ways where they can sidestep regulation. Look, they're literally doing that in real time right now in our countries. Why wouldn't they be doing it far more in places where we don't see? I mean, it's a no-brainer. These companies have been caught repeatedly breaking every rule they can get away with. It's just kind of almost naive to think that they wouldn't do it again when they have the chance. Naturally, it says we could not pass by such information, and we decided to check it out. So they walk in, and you can look for yourself. He's showing you the entire building. It's not just the one little clip we saw that was circulating. You can watch the entire thing where they walk through the whole building. This still doesn't mean you can verify for sure that the Russian embassy didn't just lie about this or do it themselves. Always possible. We're located inside the company Farm Biotest. I mean, I, I, I want us to ask why 
these companies even exist in a place that is in turmoil. And this goes before the Russian invasion. Realize that after 2014 forward, which was the U.S. verifiable regime change, which again, we have on the record, the member of parliament of Estonia speaking directly, or I think it was the prime minister, member of parliament, I forget, I have the clip on here, speaking with the, I believe it was the EU chief, Kathy uh, Austin, I believe, I'm off the top of my head. Either way, the point is, on the record, admitting we know that the people who shot them in the Maidan Square were backed by the West, and they all lied about it. The evidence, by the way, we went through an entire study, is verifiable. The study they have they have ballistics and all sorts of research showing that the bullets came from their side. I mean, they just don't care about any of this. So the bottom line is, why then forward in such a place like that, where you're again Project Aerodynamic, the CIA has been growing fascism in this country since 1948. Would you be giving them potential bioweapons? You can answer it how you will. The point is that I think that's a very ridiculous and dangerous thing. I think it's more about doing what we're seeing today. But but again, pretending like you're somehow defending yourself against what exactly? The argument that, I mean, I could, go, I could hypothesize forever. We immediately catches our eye, it says, is look at all the signs and all the names are duplicated in English. Which, again, that suggests that there's not just Ukrainians working there. As you see, this is really an operator's room. There were doctors sitting here who were watching the patients, the subjects who were in that room. Again, you know, that doesn't prove that it was happening the way they say it was and so on. You can see there's a lot of documentation here and there are research materials of various drugs on volunteers from among the residents of the area. I mean, this is, I mean, there's some compelling stuff here. Like, I recommend you watch the entire thing. But as always, the, point, the reason I'm not going into it deep and watching the entire thing is because you always have that caveat. Russia could be lying about it because this does come directly from the Russian government. And I would do the same thing in reverse, as I always do. But you can see here, Business Development Strategy Clinical Diagnostic Center Farm Bio, uh, Biotest. Judging by this marketing, the sponsor was USAID and the German company Berger. Here are the maps and collected samples. And you can see, here's my point. These are allegations. And they're holding up documentation. Historically speaking, when you go to places like Syria or think of situations like Syria, claims of chemical false flags, and so on. Russia has almost always produced something. You could say it's fake, but that never seems to get fleshed out. There's not a UN discussion where they bring the evidence in front of everybody and they prove this or that, and they, that almost never happens. It usually gets dismissed out of hand because fake news. But on the other side of it, you almost never get some kind of tangible evidence. You get allegations, and they say national security. Now, I'm not saying that means one way or the other, but just think about the difference there. So in this case, when you have them going, look, here is a binder with USAID on it, with documentation with the German company Berger and showing them working on these things and testing on civilians. Shouldn't that become some kind of some sort of international investigation? Shouldn't we flesh this out and have Russia hand these things over to some Internet? You see, that doesn't happen, though. Ask yourself why. Now, I, I could go deeper on this in general, but just so you get the point that this stuff has been done from outside, according to them, testing and working on things just like we're talking about today. Here is a video, I'll just read because he's speaking in Russian, of the, the same thing, discussing what they have been reported to by the locals in the area. Ukraine, in the, in the laboratory of the Farm Biotest Medical Center, located in the liberated village of uh, Rebezahon, Rebezahon, probably mispronouncing it, in the, in the uh, Lugansk area, documents were found confirming research that had been carried out in, out in Ukraine for several years in the interest of so-called Big Pharma. Ukraine, USA, and EU companies conducted clinical trials on citizens of Ukraine in order to avoid risks and legal costs in case of unsuccessful trials of new pharmacologic, pharmacological drugs. 
Western customers regularly visited bar- farm biotest and were admitted to all stages of, and I believe that's just where it cuts off. But the point is, you can see that they have been trying to put this out there. Now, you could argue they're lying, but ask yourself why there's not very much follow-up to this. Now, here's the signal hire post we were showing you. This does exist. Farm Biotest is an independent clinical trials center offering a full range of phase one through four clinical trials. Because that makes sense, right? To happen in, in a place like the the un, in unstable area that is Ukraine post-2014. Right. Because it makes sense. You want clinical trials of drugs in places that you can't confirm or I mean, it just this doesn't make sense. There's plenty of other places this would have made sense where it would be far more not quasi. The point is that there is no accountability in places like this. That's my that's the only real thing to understand. Doesn't mean you can prove that they were doing something they shouldn't have. But with what we know with the people that are there. And why this would be happening there instead of any number of other countries where you could argue it's not in turmoil. Just think about that. Now, just to connect this with some current things going on, I think this is actually crazy. January 10th, Fort Sill in the United States is now to train 100 Ukrainian soldiers on Patriot missile defense systems. Just interesting. One, now it's, I mean, it's long since been absurdly ridiculous to pretend the U.S. is not completely facilitating this entire war. The government. Now, we're li- they're literally training soldiers in the United States and acting like we're not taking part in this. Obviously, the Russian government's aware of this is meant to continue to hype things up and poke the bear. That's the whole point in this. So then when Russia does something, they can go see they're the ones that are aggressive, despite every single act they're doing crossing red lines all over the place. And if any one of these kind of things were happening in reverse, the U.S. would be screaming foul like they always do. The point is, it's hypocritical. The point on top of this is that Ukrainian soldiers... Now, who knows which ones? We do know there's a gigantic element of very alarmingly fascist entities in Ukraine that have been cultivated by the U.S. government. It's verifiable. It's on the record. Project Aerodynamic, which just in case there's somebody out there who is shaking their head, that's not true. That's fake news. Well, you can read it for yourself. It's right here. Posted actually in 1966, but it goes back to 1948, where they literally openly in this document on CIA.gov discuss building a fascist entity against Ukraine or against Russia. Don't forget, in the concept and the general understanding of all this, the argument goes that the funding of the Mahujadeen at the time just considered a fascist entity and arguably still today. The point is, that's what they seen them saw them as then funded them in Afghanistan for the sole purpose of bringing down the Soviet Union, arguing or rather just miring them inside the situation, which the argument goes, that's what brought them down. Much more nuanced than that. But it's interesting to see that apparently they only have a few plays. So here they are doing the same thing. Let's bring down the Russian empire with the same fascist entity plan that we've used elsewhere. It's kind of simple. Anyway, back to the point. If you want to read this, please do. I've written about this extensively. A hundred Ukrainian soldiers in the United States on Patriot missile systems. Now, one, these are people that are now in the United States that were maybe working on some kind of weird things in these labs and so on. So just keeping an open mind about what might be happening. This is where I'm going with this. And this first part is the potential for the false flag overlap, vanilla ISIS, maggot trap kind of idea we've talked about a lot. Here is the U.S. senator pointing this out, saying U.S. state senator points to a threat from the Ukrainian troops. This is an Oklahoma senator. His name is Nathan Dam, I believe, probably pronounced Dam, D-A-H-M seeking to detail the Pentagon's plan on this in Fort Sill. He submitted a draft resolution on Wednesday claiming the servicemen who are not from the NATO nation may pose a threat. I mean, ask yourself why in any way, shape, or form it makes sense to bring them over when they're not a NATO nation in the middle of a war. 
maybe you could argue even from, I mean, you could even argue in reverse that the U.S. would call that an act of war. <laughs> but of course, when they do it, it's all about freedom, though, right? The lawmaker cited the incident in November when an anti-aircraft missile fired by Ukraine veered into Polish airspace. Not even remotely what actually happened. In fact, it's very clear that they fired on Poland and tried to blame Russia based on everything we've clearly gone over, killing civilians in the process. And then even Zelensky seemingly never even backed down. He just stopped talking. But his last statement was, we know this is Russia. It, was, it wasn't us. It wasn't our people. And then it was later very clearly proven to have been their people. They still argue from some angle that it was a mistake, but while simultaneously still trying to blame Russia. The point is, in his argument, what if they do the same thing here and, uh, and accidentally bomb something in the United States? Well, it feels like a hollow argument. This feels like an attempt for him to make him seem like he's anti this agenda while really cementing the lie, which is that they accidentally fired on Poland. It was a false flag and they got caught and it didn't work. That's very clear to me. Do the research for yourself. As Ask Scott Ritter and how these S, the S-300 systems work, which, which they were using. You don't just point in the wrong direction. These things are radar. The point is they aimed in the wrong direction, guys. Either way, he's acting like they're going to do it here in the country. My more concern is that we have potentially fascist extremist elements that are being trained in the United States and doing what else? The citizens of Oklahoma need not be under threat of a similar failure impacting our people. That's what he said on Twitter. Well, here is what the NATO leader is saying in regard to how we reach peace. These same entities we're talking about, the same fascist extremist entities that they're funding. He's telling you, well, how do we reach peace? We give them more weapons, of course, because that's a no brainer. Classic U.S. Western centric concept, right? War is peace <laughs> right out of 1984. Right. How do we reach peace? Strength, more fighting, more weapons. That's how we shout them down from their dangerous. Well, is that what's happening? Who, who what government is actually marching around the world and constantly claiming to do good, but taking things over? I don't see Russia's government taking over the world. Literally, we see the U.S. government marching around the world and whatever narrative they spin out, continuing to occupy territory. Weird how they continue to throw that on them. And literally the group that they're funding to fight Russia are the ones screaming that they want to take back over the world and spread the white races. This is what they've said. The very entities that they support, the founding entities of their ideology, the Azov movement and everything is simply spreading their national ideology around the world. And yet they blame Russia for being the one trying to do so. It's pretty interesting. Here he is telling you the way to peace is more weapons for the Nazis. Extremely important that President Putin doesn't win this war. Partly because it will be a tragedy for the Ukrainians, but it will be very dangerous for all of us. Because then the message to authoritarian leaders, not only to Putin, but also other authoritarian leaders, is that when they use brutal force, when they violate international law, they achieve what they want. Ah, well, that's quite an interesting point, is it not? Who else falls into that category? Let's just think for a minute. Who else is... You know, well, we're authoritarian. Maybe that's how he's pretending we're not talking about the most obvious example in the history of the world. Or, you know, shouldn't say that in history, in living memory. Because <laughs> I, I would say there's probably bigger examples of conquering in the past. But in, in the modern world, the concept of what government has been constantly doing exactly the opposite of what they said, exactly what they blame everybody else for, the authoritarian countries that are continuing to break the law and show the rest of the world that might is right and so on. Well, the U.S. government, of course, or before that, the U.K. government. The point is, it's ridiculous to argue that this is the what Russia is doing. Point to the countries that they're illegally occupying. I mean, my God, it's stupid to sit here and pretend, as I show in this tweet, 
that we're forgetting about the illegal occupation of Syria, the illegal occupation of Iraq, the illegal occupation of Afghanistan, the illegal occupation of Libya, the illegal occupation of Bolivia, the illegal attempted, routine attempted occupation of Iran, the continual illegal occupation of Palestine, which is supported by the U.S., the continual attempts to overthrow Venezuela, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How about just all of South America? I mean, my God. As I wrote, just ask the U.S. government. They teach a master class on this, bud. But I guess the most obvious and egregious example of exactly what he's talking about just doesn't count for toe the line Stoltenberg, huh? Let's finish this clip. And that will be a very bad and dangerous lesson. It will make, make the world more dangerous and us more vulnerable. And that's the reason why uh, if we want a negotiated peaceful solution to the war in Ukraine, we need to provide military support to Ukraine. That's the only way. <laughs> The only way to negotiate is to, to, to give weapons to dangerous people. Only way to negotiate. I don't think he understands the word negotiate. Uh, weapons, uh, uh, they are the way to peace. Now let's listen to the way he says that at the end there. I think he kind of was like, whoa, wait a minute. Is that what I'm actually saying right now? I guess I have to finish the sentence anyway. <laughs> he started the sentence and clearly was like, well, ooh, well, ooh, well yeah, okay. <laughs> and finishes the sentence. Listen again. Uh, weapons, military support to Ukraine. That's the only way. Uh, weapons, uh, uh, they are the way to peace. <laughs> I mean, how can you actually say weapons are the way to peace? That is literally war is peace, guys. We are literally living in 1984. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Again, the first part of this to argue that we have not seen this lesson very clearly laid out, that the U.S. government has continually, repeatedly violated and continues to violate international law. Realize that this is not disputed. The United Nations has never faltered that Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan are illegal occupations. Period. They don't just get to pass their independent legislation in the United States and pretend that they this is the way they run this, though. They are the policemen of the world. That's how they see themselves, the U.S. government, despite how every one of them act like, I mean, Trump literally said it. We don't want to be the policeman of the world and then literally maintain that exact position. It's problematic. And on top of that, we're thinking about the Ukrainians or whatever they are in the United States being trained. Here's NPR coming out on 19th, a couple days ago, a few days ago. As a string of attacks on electric substations unfolded in Oregon and Washington in 2022, the FBI was warning utilities of white supremacists plots to take down the nation's power grid. White supremacy plots. Now, what's the point, really? I guess what? Because they're, you're really trying to make us think of Republicans who think the election was stolen, likely because there was obvious cheating on all sides. The point here is that they want you to cement the idea of white supremacists. Why? Because this has been the glyph falling flat argument narrative from the beginning of the Ukraine situation. Because, as I keep trying to show everybody, they're trying to blame it on Russia. This has been very clear. I just did an entire show on this because it's already started. Despite how much this has fallen through, how many of us immediately destroyed the narrative they tried to make about how they weren't actually the people that Russia was saying. You know, the denazification of the area. Well, they're now going, well, guess what? Russia is supporting and financing the Nazi problem. The one they just said moments ago didn't even exist. Totally makes sense, right? Watch the show for yourself. The problem here is this is the beginning of this. as they're Not the beginning, beginning, but the beginning of this next stage of setting up the argument that we have a white supremacy, terrorist, lone shooter, domestic terrorist threat concept, but then they're going to patch it back to saying Russia is the one funding it in Ukraine, which is the entity we've already proven to you is clearly influencing what they say is happening in the United States. Because the Rise Above movement 
is the recorded, documented, international arm of the Azov movement in the United States. It's I've done entire shows about this. There's the Azov movement faction in Italy. I believe it's Casa Pound. There is the Azov movement faction in Germany. And there's the Azov movement faction in the United States. It's called the Rise Above Movement. It's documented. And don't forget, the Rise Above Movement was where the entire thing began. The literal conversation of the white supremacy, right, MAGA, terrorist threat, that all started with Charlottesville, which was the Rise Above Movement, the, the Unite the Right, They Will Not Replace Us. That all was the international arm of the Azov Movement. Think about how ridiculous that is. Seeing as how the entire thing was created by the CIA. And now they're going, white supremacists are going to attack us all and then starting to lay the groundwork to blame Russia, despite the provable track record. So that all, I think, is important to the concept of what's being built around the biolabs, the manipulation, because ultimately it's going to connect in a biosecurity kind of direction. That's where all this is going. At least that's my opinion. So bringing this over into the COVID-19 part of it, I think it's important to point out the manipulations within this, people speaking out and how they're dealing with that. And I think all of this does give you insight into what the agenda ultimately may be in regard to the experimentation. First of all, I wanted to share this because we just put this out today, and it seems to be going pretty broad. Almost 50,000 people have already seen it because people are thirsty for the truth. 1,300 likes, 733 retweets. It's doing very well. As I said, I just want to remind everybody that peer-reviewed science, in case you haven't seen this, has now found, doesn't mean it's the absolute answer or that there's not other studies, but if we're playing the whole trust the science game where we're supposed to trust it, especially the random-controlled peer-reviewed trials, well, then this matters, doesn't it? Except that's not what we're hearing from the other. They're ignoring this entirely. In fact, we're being told, oh, you know, the Ionidas group, you know, previously a wildly high-respected entity in the field of scientific research. Oh, that old debunked narrative. <laughs> oh, those debunked conspiracy theorists. People are literally calling the British Medical Journal, the Ionidas group, and all these different people that have been regarded quite high up until COVID. And the moment they say the thing they're not supposed to as now conspiracy theorists that have been debunked. It's quite ridiculous. Even Science Direct, by the way. People, Science Direct is a peer-reviewed, high-level ent- uh, publication in scientific reviews. And because it's saying this, I already got people on Twitter going, oh, that old rag, that's an old conspiracy theory location. <laughs> My God. Talk, it's, just, it's just whatever they want these days. But just to remind everyone, peer-reviewed science has now found that at a global level, pre-vaccination, meaning before injections were even given, back in the original, if whatever we call we're dealing with in the beginning, the infection fatality rate was, may have been as low as 0.03 for under 50, 59 and 0.07 for under 69. There was This was never worse than the flu, guys, especially when you realize that now they're telling you it's one one thousandth of the risk, or at least that was the beginning of Omicron. It's never been worse than the flu. We have been lied to. The study's right here. You can check it out for yourself. So this is the beginning of the illusion. They had to hype and lie about what this was. So that's what I think we consider that in the context of how this could have been some kind of manipulation, some kind of experiment. This is why I argue, guys, that if they wanted to depopulate or however we think about this, this wouldn't have been the way to go. This to me, and I'm not saying that means that's not the case, because ultimately there's a lot of things that do point in that direction. The question should be, if this was done in a way that that's not really that dangerous, or in, 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 on top of the possibility that it might not even be there in general, as Denny Rancourt points out, but then using the fear they hype around something that's not that dangerous to coerce people into getting something they want to use and test because look if you've got populations dying from something else you can't really test something else on them can you just a simple thought to make it clear i'm just hypothesizing here the point is that this is the beginning of the lie it wasn't dangerous 
Now, we've got plenty of doctors continuing to tell you that this thing is dangerous. The injection we're talking about, not COVID-19 or whatever we're thinking that is. Here's another person speaking up. Leading NHS campaigner calls for investigation into whether these things are contributing to excess deaths. Again, guys, the one in 800 rate of serious adverse events. Don't forget that because we're not going to bring that study up today. But this is a peer-reviewed study being cited by people like Dr. McCullough, Dr. Maholtra, and high-level experts. One in 800, which includes myocarditis. But that's for all serious adverse events, hospitalization, death, permanent disability. That is catastrophically bad. Way worse than the illusion of COVID-19. That's for sure. Here's what he's saying about it deaths around the world if obviously there are problems with the national health service as we know but um we're seeing excess deaths around the world germany uh, all over europe actually everywhere. sweden has some of the lowest uh, in- pretty much everywhere that the injection was giving in a high level we're seeing gigantic levels of excess death actually the correlation between those two things is striking there's some variance in some places but my god it's like again correlation is not causation i will always make that point but it is wildly obvious how it correlates in every place. The higher the vaccination level, the higher the excess death right now. Now, you could put in a bunch of other arguments, but that can't be denied. Increase in excess deaths. What would you attribute that to? Are we allowed to talk about the uh, vaccine and the harms possibly caused by it? On your show? Yes. Well, you know, in, in, in health and in science, you should never shut down or, you know, try to censor debate. Um, you know, the point you raise about excess death in other countries that haven't faced the same challenges as the NHS need to be explored. So we need to look for commonality, common factors. But the whole atmosphere of censoring dissenting voices, right. I totally object and oppose. So anybody you know, honest would say that, guys, that's the important point here. Anybody that does not have another reason to go along with the flow to, you know, who's someone who's not very prominent that wants to be patted on the head by the entire establishment and suddenly be, you know, like a Hotez character who is going to be brought up into the middle of the, you know, center stage, despite being clearly a complete, you know, what is somebody you shouldn't be listening to. There's a lot of people that are willing to compromise themselves to get benefits from it. Or maybe just people that are too dumb to know that they're wrong. There, anybody honest, any doctor, anybody who wants objectivity and full disclosure is going to say, why in the world would you censor people, especially high-level doctors who disagree? It's just simple. Even if they are wrong, that is the opposite of actual transparency. Anybody honest knows that. We need investigation. We don't need silence. We need attention. We need independent scrutiny of the figures. And we need some answers because, you know, I, I'm hearing concerns from reputable voices in terms of the damage done by the vaccine. We know that Pfizer was very secretive about their raw data. Yeah. We know reanalysis of the raw data has found that within their own figures, there was a one in 800 chance of serious adverse events. Now, I, ha- I do actually I do. I forgot. I do actually have that study for today and I'll show you that. But think about the point there is that that is what their own study found. The main point is they lied about the findings. And when people went back and reevaluated that very same data, they said, wow, 1-800, that's crazy. What did Pfizer say? What, one in a million? Literally, they lied, everybody. And you can prove it with their own data, which is why they tried to hide this stuff. But guess what's not happening? Nobody in the establishment is doing anything about it. They don't even care about that data. The data challenges what they're saying, so they just disregard the data. That's not trusting anything but your own narrative. 
if that is contributing in some way to these excess deaths, we need to know about it. The sooner, the better. Not if you're trying to hide the facts, though, right? Now, here's the other guy we have, we just read. He's actually the one that conducted this study we were talking about. Now, here he's saying, I no longer feel comfortable recommending the vaccines to anyone. See, again, guys, I just have to demonstrate our value here. And this is because it's not because I was guessing. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pat myself on the back here and make it clear that I was one of the earliest people to come out on the media side of this and say, look, guys, I'm not towing. The, I'm not uh, dancing the line anymore. Right. I'm not quibbling. It is harmful for everybody, even before some of these high level experts. And I get it because they were trying to be extra careful. But I saw it. The information was there, especially when you had these experts come out and say this, that it's got to be bad. It's bad for everyone. And thank God more people are starting to just and just not just see they're, they're finally starting to admit what the data shows simple as that and he found it one in 800 that is catastrophically bad i would not recommend this vaccine to my children or to anyone in my family anymore he says that's not because it was once good it's because he's now seeing that it was always bad the data was from the very beginning now here's another example of this of the shifting dynamic guess what guess who is suddenly at least as the internet's talking about on Twitter, which seems like they're missing the point entirely. Guess who just changed his mind, which is not actually what happened. Mr. Scott Adams. You know, the whole you're wrong even though you're right and I'm right even though I'm wrong mantra that never seems to stop. Well, guess what? He came out and said, anti-vaxxers clearly won. You're the winners. Well, guess what? Everyone seems to be missing that this is not the, the admission that they think it is. He's literally saying the exact same thing he's always been saying. Except now he's just admitting, like before he said, you guys got lucky, but you're wrong because you should be wrong, even though you're right. Just a very childish stance, even within his own argument. Now he's going, well, you got lucky and I was doing the right thing, but you but you got it right by accident, though. That's not an admission of anything. He's saying the exact same thing, but but finally going, well, but you did get it right, though. But you guessed and you're lucky. That's it's it's the same damn thing. This guy is ridiculous. His hubris is through the roof. He still can't admit it. And all he can do is kind of half walk into it and still go, but you're wrong, though. <laughs> and my point is, Catter says, can you believe this clown is actually saying this now? Now, again, taking it from hypothetically, let's, let's pretend like he did admit you're all right, which is kind of how people are taking this. I'll play it for you. It's not what he actually did. But even if he did, though, and even actually what he did say, it still is ridiculous after everything he said as he said in the past, about how evil anti-vaxxers are. He actually blocked Katzer because he told him the day would come, his day would come. At least he admits he was wrong and we were right. Now that's, again, that's not even what he's saying. He's saying that you won as if this was some kind of game. The point is we all lost. That's the sad reality. We didn't want to be right. Well, I argue some people probably did, but by and large, people that were trying to fight this, it's we all lost. We're all horrified by what happened, especially since we're all seemingly still scooping up shedded mrna and spike protein this i mean i literally just talked to dr mccullough which we'll have some pirate stream interviews coming out soon from the reawaken american tour we, we sat down with him for about 15 minutes as well as this nurse he had there which i'm hoping to interview and he said the same thing like this is the problem is that he i don't he doesn't think any of us can get away from this anymore now there is new stuff i'll get into in a new sh in a future show about potential ways to like decouple spike protein and so on but the argument being that this is everywhere it's like glyphosate i've talked about in the past it's damn ubiquitous at this point i don't see how we can avoid it which is horrifying anyway the point is that there's no winner in this game and as i said in response to that he admitted we were right i said he's not really though is he he's basically saying exactly the same patronizing thing 
only this time praising us instead of deriding us for guessing correctly. But many of us didn't guess, as you know. So this feels even more weak, to be quite honest, than before. Typical for him, though. And Geography Pros has agreed, showing his tweet down here that says, I didn't suggest anyone could follow the science because the data was basically guessing. Again, that's his point. Like, he can't even admit you were right without saying, but you still got lucky. What about people like Dr. Bhakti, who on Fox in March of 2020 said that you take these to your doom? Dr. Bhakti is not somebody who guesses into the wind on the news. He had the data, and that's what we saw too. And it showed that these things were dangerous even then. Even with what they were showing then, it's exponentially worse now. I'll play this clip for you, and then I'll show you these next tweets that just add to the point. Completely. Right. Having a- This is kind of a, a montage, like a compilation of the main points somebody put together from his video. The video's up here. You'll you watch it for yourself. You want to watch, struggle through it. Uh, with his graphs about how, look, you got the graphs on the whiteboard. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Oh, I guess you guessed right. Good graph. Anyway. Having said as clearly as possible that the anti-vax people seem to be the winners. The winners. What a- I want you to hear that clearly. The anti-vax people appear to be the winners. Oh, you're so good, Scott Adams. You finally The anti-vaxxers clearly are the winners at this point and i think it'll probably stay that way i mean just I, what does that even mean the winners i mean that inherently makes this out to me this guy can't this is the problem with his entire mindset that this was a game this was us battling to be right as opposed to just trying to find the truth and i'll make that more clear in a minute with his follow-up tweets and and i don't want to put any shade on that whatsoever <laughs> they came out the best they, they have the winning position the unvaccinated have a current advantage because they, they feel better. The, the thing they're not worrying about is what I have to worry about, which is, I wonder if that vaccination five years from now, because really the anti-vaxxers, I think, were really just distrustful of big companies and big government. Right. So we just got lucky because we inherently are, are distrustful. Right. You're a contrarian. Therefore, you just got lucky by, you know, because because, you know, what's funny about that is actually classically, historically speaking, you're usually right. So it's not a bad position to inherently doubt what you're being told by the government. Regardless of that, this was not only the thing that was happening. We weren't all guessing. The reality was that we saw the truth that you did not want to see because you trusted the authorities like Ben Shapiro. We were lied to. No, you trusted the authorities. We saw it. That's never wrong. It's never wrong to distrust government. It's never wrong to distrust big companies. Right? So if you just took the position, let's just distrust everything the government did, that's well, not you want it. That's not what happened, man. Right? We weren't just pushing back unknowingly. We were proving with peer-reviewed science that they were wrong. You didn't want to hear it at that time. You screeched about it and screamed that we were killing people because you didn't want to see it. And you apparently still don't want to see it. You just are happy to go, well, the new things the CDC are saying, you're still trusting the authorities, are now quietly stepping one toe in the water. Super rare myocarditis. No, we're so far past that. They're only giving you a fraction of the story in hopes that you stop looking. And he's still going along. You won. (laughs) You won completely. I did not end up in the right place. Agree? You would all agree with that, right? I did not end up in the right place. The right place would be natural immunity, no, no vaccination. As always. You should take victory, and I should take defeat. We can agree on that, right? 
that that my position is now the weakest, God, this is and, and your position has gone from the weakest to the strongest. No, no, and that no, we can no, just no. say that's true. How could it go from the weakest to the strongest? Again, because he's implying that you didn't know and you were wrong simply because you were guessing, and it just turned out that you were right. This is not an apology at all. The people who didn't give vax are absolutely in the winning position. That's all I can say. You win. See. You win. There's no you're right. You are the winners. You are the winners. Let me say that part with no ambiguity. You won. You won. Uh, All all of my fancy analytics got me to a bad place. All of your heuristics, don't trust these guys, it's obvious, totally worked. That's all, he, that's all he can do. He just repeated the same thing over and over and over, the point being that you just got lucky. I mean, that's just straight pathetic, guys. That's bad. And the sad part is a lot of people, like th- this is what you're going to see all over today. Scott Adams broke the internet. That's just like the cl- everyone's saying that in 13 different ways. Scott just you know went viral. It's just ridiculous. That's probably what he hoped for. He's hoping for that. And everyone's buying it because they think he's admitting that we- he's not. He just played you yet again while still pretending he's right. It's just ridiculous. Now, here he had this, this uh, spaces, which I didn't even care to dive into because I knew what would happen, and it turned out that I was right by watching what people said about it. As he says, what are educated people getting, why are educated people getting the wrong answers on the backs? See, inherently, it's like he can't not be patronizing. What he's saying right there is that if you got it right, you're not educated. Why are educated people, I guess, I mean, not entirely, I guess, but just simply saying that, that educated people are getting the wrong answers, which implies that if you got the right answers, you're not educated, at least to some degree. It's just bad. People who tuned in said that the moment he, they started to push back, he, shut, he kicked them out of the screen at, because that's what he does. And of course, it's not recorded, right? The one I'm doing right now for my show is recorded like all of it because that's so people can listen to it. It's just, it's just pr- quite ridiculous. Here he says, there's a lesson to be learned here. Never listen to brilliant people. <laughs> you, you just can't not be patronized. The point is he doesn't want to be. He's not trying to say you're right. He's trying to say that he's right in hopes that you're too dumb to not see that he's saying that. Never listen to brilliant people saying you're stupid. So his argument is all the smart people got it wrong and you're dumb and you got it right. <laughs> it's just it's incredible. And here he says, can someone teach me how to sort the good eminent scientists from the bad ones? I keep getting it wrong. It's, this is patronizing. Please answer in the comments. You see where he goes? See, the, 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 the crux of the argument is he still hasn't changed what he's doing. So here he is going, which one should I trust? <laughs> which one should I listen to? And which one should I disregard? How about you listen to all of them, Scott, and come to your own conclusions based on the evidence? How about that? How about you listen to the fringe conspiracy theorists? Listen to the epidemiologists who have no standing, listen to the high-level doctors, listen to the government, and stand back and go, what does the data show? You see, the point is, he's going bad ones, like people that he references, like the anyone's out there saying the things we're talking about. Just, you saw, through the process, he shouted them down, he dismissed them, he said they were wrong, fake news. Now he's asking, which one should I do that to today? <laughs> My God, people can't learn, it seems. And then finally, Dr. McCullough points out this in regard to what Dr. Excuse me, what Borla just said as he responds to the sudden cardiac arrest post-vaccination. Now, I already told you how this was going to go. Actually, I don't think I had this video. Let me see if this is loud enough. Yeah, so let's listen to this real quick. The point is that we remember how we just told you how they came out with the whole sudden cardiac arrest and stroke reports. 
and said, we got signals. We're looking into it. Everybody jumped the gun and said, finally, the CDC admits what's happened. No, they played the game. They said, we saw signals. And then within less than 24 hours, they came back and said, nope, nothing there. Nothing to see here. We investigated ourselves and we found ourselves not guilty. Fantastic. Which is what this was meant to do. So now it gives the people who want to dismiss what you're saying without evidence the ammunition to do so. They're going to say, see, you guys are conspiracy theorists. They actually looked and they still found nothing. That's how this is meant to go. The point is, you don't need their false investigation and false dismissal. The evidence has always been there. The sudden cardiac death, the stroke, it's always been there. And the point is, they've admitted that there is some overlap, but yet when you point to one, they go, fake news, it can't be. <laughs> that in and of itself proves what we're saying, but listen to this. The status of the, the booster in the U.S. There's been a CFTC and FDA investigation into safety, potential safety issues surrounding stroke for elderly people who have gotten the booster. What, what do you know about that? No, I think what the CDC said was that uh, they saw a signal in one small database, and as a result, they triggered a very comprehensive review of all databases, distance, <laughs> and they discovered nothing. They found one small signal. No, it was a gigantic signal in all of the, st- all of the reporting systems, and they did less than 24-hour research. But that's how he responds, because this guy is clearly part of the problem. So then, just, but just for transparency, just as we had seen the signal, we, we tested, we found nothing. The same is with us. Uh, we were alerted that they found that. We'll do it. Our own investigation in all databases in Europe, Israel, and the U.S., and we found in none of them anything. None of them. Now, what he, Chief Nerd seems to be saying, oops. Oh, sorry, probably couldn't hear me. For the chief, chief nerd seems to be saying that he just responds to sudden cardiac arrest, which is actually about stroke, it seems. But the point is here that he is simply dismissing it, saying, they look, it's not nothing there. Move forward. Right. Realize that the people analyzing their phase three trial is what we're talking about. One in 800. That's their data. And yet they're still dismissing it. And still the media is going right along with it. You know why? Check it. Pfizer, right? These groups are that's actually not that's because of this. But the point is, these groups are funded by the pharma companies. The, the media outlets out there, if you can call them that. So here's what Dr. McCullough says in response. Here's the ultimate safety signal. He intentionally concealed this from the world. 1,223 deaths after the Pfizer injection in the first 90 days of administration. It's all, you guys, this data's been there. It's dismissed. It's all coming out. They just don't want you to see it. New release Pfizer documents reveal the jab dangers. It's all there. They're running from this. Now, before we get, there's more to get into on the negative side effect here, but realize that even with just the stuff we're talking about, even with the risks that we're now admitting, the fact that, or they're now admitting, the fact that the risk in general from COVID or whatever that is, is less than the flu, and it always has been. Or the fact that the risks of serious adverse events are one in 800. These alone, prior to COVID, were enough, a fraction of that would be enough to shut these things down. But today... They're tripling, quadrupling down. Here's the WHO still arguing. And again, the point I made in the beginning about how every single thing they've told about this has been has turned out to be wrong. Almost every single thing. And here he is as uh, Mike Ryan still lying to you. You know, the whole thing about not stopping transmission because it doesn't. Here's what he says. Vaccinations about protecting yourself, but it's also inherently an altruistic act. You're vaccinating yourself in order to be a part of an immune group. And of course, what they're really talking about is herd immunity. But how'd that all work out? Right? How many how many times have we read? I mean, there are places out there that have 99, almost 100% uptake. And they don't have it. 
at least on the narrative, and because this isn't what we're talking about. We're not talking about something normal here. And I think we all are beginning to see that. But here's what he says. Completely. Oh, that's the wrong one. Uh, this one here. Should it be mandatory? I don't believe in mandatory vaccination in principle. Um, I do believe in the principle that we have a duty to protect ourselves. We also have a duty to protect our families, and we have a duty to the wider society. And vaccination is about protecting yourself, but it also is an inherently altruistic act in that you are vaccinating yourself in order to be part of an immune group that will then protect those who can't be vaccinated for other reasons. Now, and who is that exactly? Right. This is always the argument they love to throw out there. You know, herd immunity. So for those that can't be vaccinated, then we protect them. So like the immune compromised, like the pregnant women and children and elderly. Yes, that's exactly who they're talking about. But guess what, guys? Do we not realize by now those are the first people that they tried to inject? Oops. So what are we talking about then? It's just narrative towing. That's all we're talking about. You know we saw this, despite the fact that I made this clear from the beginning. Historically, the immunocompromised never get injected because their bodies are, historically, it's not, it's problematic for them more than anybody. They're more dangerous for them than anybody, and half the time it doesn't even have the effect that it does for everybody else, if it's even there. So why then did they rush to do them first? Especially since, I'll show you in a minute, that in their own documentation right up till now, it still says that they never tested whether it was safe and immunocompromised, or elderly people, or pregnant women, but yet they focused on them first. Okay, so then what is the point about doing what he's talking about? How do you protect people if they're already injected? We're being lied to, guys. It's just that simple. I believe many people are vaccine hesitant, but I don't believe many people are anti-vaccination. And I think there's a big difference between people who are anti-vaccination as an ideologic principle and those people who have genuine questions and concerns around vaccination. We have to do a much better job at understanding people's concerns, um, understanding the reasons why people are hesitant about vaccination. hasn't treated people very well. But I really should around back. Uh, but the dad- I think there was another point there, but I'm going to skip. The main point I wanted to get into was that, about the people that are at the most risk from COVID are the ones they said needed to be jabbed first. Those are the people he's arguing that everybody else needs to be jabbed to protect. Doesn't make much sense, does it? Now, here is another example of this. And again, Think about the direction of all of this and why this would make any sense. What are we, what is the F, why is it so aggressive to get all of these in your body in such a rapid time frame? I think there's more going on here. I've thought that from the beginning, but here's the CDC of all time right now. This is posted on the 20th, two days ago. The CDC says it's not too late to get vaccinated. You can get your monkeypox vaccine. Yeah, that's still happening. When's the last time you even heard about that? By the way, there is still an emergency in place for monkeypox. An emergency. Think about how ridiculous that is. There, you don't need an emergency anymore to declare an emergency in this country. All they need is the worry that the might come. So it's meaningless then. They can shut. They can just. Oh, there's a thing. There's a thing. Emergency. Shutdown. Lockdown. Mass. Just in case. That's the world they're building you into right now. But they're literally telling you go get the monkeypox vaccine and the flu vaccine and the COVID vaccine in the same visit. That's literally what they're telling you. And guess what it says. This doctor says, talk to your vaccinator about what's right for you. <laughs> yeah, that's a new thing. No, don't talk to your doctor. Talk to your vaccinator. Go talk to the Walgreens administrator and say, hey, what's right for me, Walgreens guy? Hey, lady in the Dunkin', pa- Dunkin Donuts parking lot giving injections. What's right for me? What should I do in my body? <laughs> no, don't talk to your doctor. 
your vaccinator, because that's a whole new category. We need a special vaccinator. Now, I know that's been a term used before, but it's an interesting phrase to say, talk to your vaccinator about what's right for you. That's like saying, talk to your pharmacist. Well, really, you should talk to your doctor. In fact, well, I would argue in some cases, the pharma, anyway, the bottom line is that they're pushing all three of them at the same time, all three of them. And again, as I've often pointed out, guys, their documentation as of right now still says they have no idea if that's safe. The flu shot and the COVID shot. Not let alone the wildly dangerous monkeypox shot that they're still giving people, which is basically a cowpox smallpox injection, which I've gone over in entire shows, which are ridiculously dangerous. The point is, how can the COVID jab, bivalent or original, be given by Walgreens and CVS alongside the flu shot if, as I'll show you, the most current official documents still say they don't know? It's all very clear. Actually, I mean, I have them open. I'll just go to the actual documents right here. Interact. This is posted as of November 2022. Interaction with the vaccines. Studies to determine if the co-administration of the COVID injection, along with any other vaccine, may affect the efficacy or safety of either of them have not been performed. And just, you know, casually also realizing long-term safety data, totally not known. But let's force on all these children just, just to be safe for us because we're cowards. Here's the FDA's document. Again, this is December 2022. Last month, there is no information on the co-administration of Pfizer's BioNTech COVID vaccine bivalent with other vaccines. So any of them with any other vaccines. So explain that for me. How does this possibly make sense? Now, you can argue that we don't know it very well could be safe, but the point is they don't know. And the current data shows that they don't know. And yet here they are saying, do it. It's safe and effective. Now, that's not what it says in this tweet. But yes, that is what they're pushing in every possible angle, as I'll show you again on this tweet. As you can see, they both say from both CBS and Walgreens that the CDC says it's safe to receive multiple vaccines at the same time. But which ones are they talking about? Are we talking about old ones, which I also argue aren't safe, that they haven't tested? It's the same argument no matter what you talk about. MMR vaccine, for example, they're giving you a shot with three things in it that they've never tested alongside each other. I don't even know how that possibly makes sense to anybody other than they just don't know that. But here we are. Same argument make every time and seems to continue on somehow magically. Who knows? But guess what? Here's another example. And this is where we start to get really into the concerns about what this may be. The myocarditis discussion and the long COVID or long flu. Yeah, that's a thing now, too. Or stroke season. All these narratives and terms are being used to cover up what seems to have been an agenda. This is January 17th, 2023. January 17th, 2023, SARS-CoV-2 spike, mRNA, vaccine sequences, circulate in blood up to 28 days after COVID vaccination, peer-reviewed. But of course, because it says the wrong thing, that's not the right kind of peer review, right? That's where we are today. Before it was only peer-reviewed and everything else. Well, now we show peer review. They go, no, 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 no. Oh, what? Oh, Jen Book. Oh, well, not that one though. She's fake news. That's how that works. Today. I'm just picking a name out. I don't even know who she is. But the point is, that's how this is working. It doesn't matter anymore. They have been trained that a certain kind of narrative, whether rooted in peer-reviewed science or not, is not allowed. So if they say it, they are fake news. See how the simple that is? That's the game we're playing today. In Denmark, it says vaccination against SARS-CoV-2 has been with the Pfizer, BioNTech, or the Moderna. So all mRNA. Full length or traces of SARS-CoV-2 spike mRNA vaccine sequences were found in blood up to 28 days after vaccination. That's up to 
as well as the fact that you the, the same with a lot of these things is it goes longer than that as well. But the point here is mRNA vaccine sequences. Right. So this is the instructions to make spike protein circulating your bloodstream for 28 days at least, or in some cases up to or more. I don't know why that's not the most alarming thing possible, especially since they said that's not possible, especially since we have, I'll show you next, Red Cross still arguing that's not happening. On top of that, that the Salk Institute says the spike protein alone can cause disease. So with this thing circulating and teaching all things all over your body to make spike protein, and then the body then attacks those things, as we've already shown you, there's a problem here. And we'll get into that in a minute about how concerning this actually is. But it says detection of the mRNA vaccine sequences in blood after vaccination adds important knowledge regarding this technology and should lead, which it won't though, to further research into the design of lipid nanoparticles and the half-life of these and mRNA vaccines in humans. See, they're lying about all of this because they still argue that it doesn't go in your blood still to this day, which is why they say none of this matters. But there's plenty of peer-reviewed science finding that. Now, here is an, I've already done this before. We've already got the other one showing you 11 of 13 people have it circulate in their bloodstream within one day. Here's what the American Red Cross says as of September 13, 2022. And they still maintain this on their website. We don't label blood products as containing vaccinated or unvaccinated blood. Because the COVID-19 vaccine does not enter the bloodstream, of course. And therefore poses no safety risk. Well, you're lying or you're wrong. And I posted it here as well. Yet another peer-reviewed study finds that you are wrong. How is it that we can know this? And yet you are still standing by this statement. You are putting people in danger. You are accountable for this action or lack thereof. And CC posted the same thing. The point is, guys, they don't care. They don't care. So get this out there. Say something. Get in front of them. They know this. The data is there. They're running scared because they're committed. What are you going to do now? You've already forced children to take blood transfusions that you lied about. There is accountability to be had here, guys. They're scared of that. The point, though, it's quite obvious this is happening. Now, here, by the way, is a fact check as of December 13th. And it's still the same thing they push. Blood transfusion doesn't transfer COVID vaccine. Well, the way they play the game is that they're saying that it doesn't, tra- you don't get vaccinated. Well, we're not, I'm not, who cares about that? The point is you have mRNA. Stro- well, you know what? I'll even say, I'll walk that back. If you have, as we know, according to the, or at least according to this peer-reviewed study, not just the spike protein, but specifically, where was it? Detection of mRNA vaccine sequences that then can turn into the instructions for spike protein then you literally are being vaccinated, right? Isn't that what the vaccine does? Yes. It, it's, it, you have lipid nanoparticles carrying the instructions to create the spike protein, or rather the mRNA, which has the instructions to create spike protein. So what we're talking about is, in fact, being vaccinated. I mean, by definition of what they're claiming, well, it's again, being injected with gene therapy manipulation that they're calling vaccination. Either way, what they're saying there is the opposite because it literally is doing the same thing. But all that aside, The real point is the mRNA and the spike protein in your body for at least 28 days. And what do they say down here? No, we don't see mRNA sticking around. That's for sure. That's for sure, they say. Why? Well, because the CDC said so. Because that's what experts do, right? Within days of vaccination, there's no trace of mRNA in the blood. These are these are the supposed experts that you see on CNN, the experts you see on Fox News, the experts that you see continuing to push the lies. Here's the CDC website still saying as of January 17th. Guess what, guys? 
COVID vaccines are safe and effective. Safe and effective, huh? Apparently, they've gone through the most intense safety monitoring in history. That's a blatant lie. I mean, literally the easiest thing in the world to prove. Here's an interesting number. More than 666 million doses of COVID vaccine have been given. Why would they say that? If it's more than, why wouldn't they say 667? <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to make, make something out of nothing, but think that's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, you clearly could have said any other number. I just find that interesting. <clears throat> Since it says more than, but COVID vaccines, again, in case you missed it, we want to reiterate, they're safe and effective. Just in case you missed the first sentence. The point here <clears throat> is think about this, guys. I've said it in the beginning. How is it possible if almost every single thing they've said, whether we're talking about efficacy, how long it lasts, the safety, the side effects, everything, whether it stays in your shoulder muscle instead of your bloodstream. I mean, literally everything they've talked about is at least not what they said in the beginning, most of which is completely the opposite. So if it was, quote, safe and effective in the beginning, and yet nothing worked the way it was supposed to, how could it possibly right now be safe and effective? The point is it was never safe and it was never effective. They're just saying the mantra. You know that makes sense if it was a different thing then and it's completely different now, but it's the same, so still safe and effective though. That doesn't make any sense. Gosh, this chair is squeaking a lot. I got to get a new chair. Okay, next part, excess death and how this is showing you the injection and what that's causing. Not the whatever we're discussing about whether COVID was there or not or bioweapon, but the injection being given and the correlation with that going forward, Dr. Claire Craig points out. Or rather, this next will be the excess death. This is a point about people being forced into this even now. Why are people still being forcibly vaccinated? It's January 18th, when the world as a whole has almost stopped injecting. Well, ask yourself why. Who is, where, what is this, this is a U.S.-centric agenda, or rather a West-centric agenda. So the rest of the world is aware suddenly, or at least to some degree, going, okay, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. And guess what's happening here? Pushing even harder, despite the evidence. That needs to show you something. People are being taken to court right now to try to force a 22-year-old to get the injection. In this country, or rather specifically the West, because it is happening in UK and the United States right now and Australia and New Zealand and so on. But there are places around the world that are going the opposite direction. But forcing a 22 year old with everything we just talked about in Germany, we just talked about this too. An 85 year old woman who declined the injections is going to be forced into, well, rather first force injected and then put into a mental institute. And by the way, this is a woman who lived through the Holocaust. It's unbelievable what's happening. Protesters in Brazil have been forcibly injected after they were arrested. Think about that. How does that make sense? This is very, very interesting, guys. And she says it is utterly unethical. In the meantime, here is what the world as a whole is doing. Injections are tapering down to nothing because people are starting to see it. And we see this everywhere. Excess death skyrocketing, according to the people that most injected. The highest weekly death rate in 23 years. Now, ask yourself how that's possible. They can't just keep pretending lockdown and whatever else without proving it, which is what they're doing. If this was supposed to have any positive effect, you would not have the worst situation in almost, in almost 30 to 50 years, depending on what you're talking about. When COVID was rampant in 2020 with no injections to save everybody. How does that even possibly make sense? Highest in records going back to 1974. Fourth highest. Share this video widely. This is in Scotland. Now, remember, we were doing this a long time ago with Scotland's data. It's still, in fact, it's far worse than what we were saying before. Guys, 
a really important video today on excess deaths in Scotland. So today, National Records of Scotland just released the weekly death data for week two of 2023, and it is a shocker. So, last week we had 2,020 deaths from all causes in Scotland. Now this is a huge number because generally in Scotland we have 1,100 to 1,200 deaths every week in Scotland. And last week we have recorded 2,020 deaths in a single week. Now that's the largest figure ever recorded in a single week by Scotland. That figure, the 2,020, is the first time I've been over 2,000 ever on record. And it's higher than all of those excess deaths that we had from week 14 to week 20 during the spring pandemic where we were seeing hundreds of people extra dying every week. So last week we seen more than that. Now how can that be? How are we seeing more excess deaths now than ever, ever recorded in Scotland? Last week, week two, 2020 deaths. The week before it, there was 1,500 deaths. Now 1,500 is excess in itself, so it's not like we're seeing a lag in deaths. This has actually shocked me today. It really has shocked me. And we're seeing it, we're seeing it across all age groups. Right. We're seeing it across all settings. There's a care home death, 475. Okay, there's a great point you made right there. Ask yourself how that makes sense. If this is different age, like age gratification, right? If we know that young kids are far less likely to be hurt or even get sick than the 70-year-old, how exactly can it be the exact same even excess death across age groups? Well, because they're all taking the same dangerous thing. That's why. That's my opinion, but I think that's quite damn obvious. Deaths in a care home, which is the highest recorded care home deaths in a single week in the last year, if not further. And if you look at it by age group, we're also seeing 52 deaths in people aged 15 to 44, which is higher than any other time in the previous year. And we're seeing the, the overarching point, guys, is that it's just outrageously high, more than we've ever seen. Well, in most cases, it's the fourth highest in record. The next one is the one ever. It's it's everywhere, guys. I mean, I not literally, but it's all over the place. Here's Igor Chudov pointing out Europe in general reported 35%. I mean, here the other point you made in all these cases, guys, is they keep arguing it's about lockdown or so on. You do not see this kind of ridiculous skyrocket, unprecedented jump with just some with, with it, this there would be more of a slope this is a inst, this is jumping top like what's the right way to put it it's not something that was a gradual increase right which is how this would have looked if it was what they're saying this is an a jump instantly along with the injections that were massively rolled out it says reported a 35% excess death in the last week for which full data was available he says, nobody cares about it except you and me. The press is silent. I mean, my God. 35% above ex what's expected right now. Here's another one. This is uh, uh, Gerard Rennick again in, in Australia. Australia's excess deaths in 2020. It says deaths from Corona, 906. Zero excess deaths. 2021, Vax campaign. July to December, 95% uptake. 2021, deaths from corona, 2,200. 2022, excess deaths, 25,000 plus. 140,000 jab injuries. As it says, the vax deaths are causing a labor shortage, not corona. That's according to Allen, but I agree. Here's what Senator Re uh, uh, Gerard is saying. Well, well, here we are. 
the end of 2022, and we've had over 10 million cases of COVID. Uh, the Australian Health Department, of course, stopped counting around September sometime because I think it was getting too embarrassing to admit that despite with over 20 million people being vaccinated, over half the country had caught COVID. Now, even from this is what I call arguing from within their narrative, right? On one side of this, the point is that they're saying this thing helps and stops transmission. And then the argument that then went forward was that all the people got COVID. So right there, whether that's even real, their own narrative is exposing the lie from their own narrative. But my point is that it gets larger than that. I personally think that most of what we're pointing at there is vaccine side effects. And that's I part of that is for sure. I just don't know to what degree, possibly all of it. I don't know, but it's definitely part of it. We are seeing these things get swept into whatever else they want to call it, just like flu got swept in and pneumonia into COVID during the beginning of all this and still now whenever they want to. But that's something to consider, right? But so even though, even within their narrative, though, I mean, it's ridiculous. At the point when this was, the point was they argued this was going to stop everything. We know that. And it wasn't when that member of parliament said that on in that discussion that it suddenly broke the news from 2020 forward that was very clear, despite the narrative being different. That's important. The government and the pharmaceutical companies like Albert Borla literally said 100% stopping transmission. The point was from the beginning, the documentation was clear. It did not. They never even tried to. The data showed that they knew that it wouldn't. And I said that in 2020, not guessing. So it's interesting how this narrative develops and people think things are breaking because certain influencers out there choose to frame them that way. Whatever happened to protecting you? Whatever happened to protecting you? But we don't want to talk about that anymore. We'll just pull it off the website and not discuss it. Crazy. We'll not discuss it. And then we've got the excess deaths that uh, Senator Babbitt talked about before. Uh, we had 8,706 extra deaths last year, despite the fact that New South Wales locked down for three months. So in theory, the deaths should have been lower like they were in 2020. But let's not count 2021 in the ABS, ABS figures. Or sorry, 2020, they're not counting. Let's pretend nothing happened there. You know, then that's the point, because when it doesn't fit the model they're trying to show you, they just don't put it in. That means they know they're lying to you. Almost 140,000 jab injuries, more than all the injuries reported from vaccines since 1971, more than all the injuries put together. You've got an injury rate that's three times higher, oh and God. yet the TGA don't want to look at the signal. The whole point of having a database where doctors report these injuries, where they tick the box suspected, and as the doctors say, they don't fill these forms out, because they don't have the spare time. They don't have a lazy 20 or 30 minutes sitting around filling these forms out if someone caught, uh, fell off a bike. No, no, they're ticking uh, these boxes because they believe that the vaccine caused the injury that they are reporting. And yet the uh, TGA want to pretend that there's nothing to see here. And why wouldn't they? Because Professor Skerritt is head of an organisation uh, that is funded by Big Pharma. That is and it's the same thing we're seeing in this country, guys, as I've said many times. Before COVID-19, as far back as you want to look, the argument was the signals don't need to be proven. The signal's enough. That's the way the system was designed, are enough to pause just to be safe. Today, it's the exact inverse, right? That it's unsafe to stop until we know. It's ridiculous. As Dr. Rain in 2006 said in the UK for the MHR, for the yellow card system, she said that we don't need to prove these. The signal is a, a, alone is enough. And here we are, where it's just the opposite now, because they want it to be. It's funded by Big Pharma. Now, if you want to talk about a conflict of interest, that's it. That's it. 
And these guys have no idea what they are talking about. I asked Professor Brendan Murphy, who was the Chief Health Officer at the time, whether or not he'd actually read the non-clinical report into the Pfizer vaccine. Right. Guess what? He hadn't read it. Despite that, he'd been saying for the last uh, a couple of days earlier that the spike protein wasn't in the blood. Well, had he read the report, he would have known that they never even tested the spike protein. And they would have also known that when they did the animal trials, that the report said there was no difference in lung inflammation between the placebo group and the vaccinated group after nine days. There was not one skerrick of evidence that showed that that vaccine was effective. But did anyone in this chamber right here, right now, actually read that report? I bet you not. But you all went out there and said it was safe and effective where you didn't have a clue what you were talking about. And shame on you. Because the law in this country, the law in this country, in the Australian Immunisation Register, says you cannot be coerced into taking a vaccine, number one, and number two, is that you need to be properly informed about what is in the vaccine. It's called informed consent, which doesn't matter apparently today. Here is a post from BBC, January 10th. Excess deaths in 2022. You know, the year that we all got saved by the magical injection among worst in 50 years. Which it's really interesting that they're saying among the worst, because I'm pretty sure the numbers are worse than it was in the peak of the COVID narrative. But that I think they're playing with the numbers. Regardless, how does that remotely even remotely make sense with what they're telling us? That is the opposite. It's hurting people. Here's Aussie 17. The news keeps coming. Australia's mainstream media reports 17% excess deaths from specifically ischemic heart disease. They blame it. I think that's how you say that. I forgot. I looked it up before. They blame it on long-term effects. Oh, here we go. Now we're getting into the game of blaming long COVID, which is always what we told you was going to happen, at least in one case, in one regard. It says, but don't forget the real-world data between the vax and the unvaxed shows otherwise. Again, they don't care about the data. You could prove that's not the case, but they'll just say it anyway. Again, it, it, the point is that the data, and this is one, this is New South Wales, continuing, this is the last report we actually showed you, continuing to show you that by and large, this is almost non-existent in the no-dose category. And I would even argue the ones that are there could potentially be with something that happened within the first 21 days, which they bumped down into, specifically in Australia, bumped down into unvaccinated. How can it be unvaccinated if you've got a shot in your body? So the point, is this is the report they're showing you. Fatal heart attacks have surged in Australia. Here's why. What do you think they're going to say? This is January 21st, yesterday. The pandemic has caused a surge of fatal cardiac arrest right out of the gate. Oh, you know that, do you? As delayed care, here we go, and COVID's damaging effect on the heart drives a major uptick in serious heart issues. Well, certainly possible. Guess what they don't even bring up? You know, the thing they've admitted can cause exactly those things. Because that makes sense, right? Here's a thing that we know can cause heart attacks in rare cases. And guess what? Here's a rise in heart attacks. But that's not possible. How does that even make sense? Like, I mean, that is as obvious as it gets. We all see it. Damar Hamlin collapses. And they go, no fake news before anybody even knows what happened. How? You mean the thing that we've admitted can cause that? But no, it's fake because it can't be. It's just ridiculous. I mean, these people are ridiculous. I, I don't see how they can't see that they're being ridiculous. Or they're brainwashed. But it says more than 10,200 Australians died of ischemic heart disease in the first eight months of 2022. 
That is about 17% higher than we expected in a normal year. So how would that sound? Like, ask yourself, if it was lockdowns, is what they're really trying to argue, wouldn't that have not been in 2021 that we saw this? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. This is guessing into the direction of their narrative and just trying to connect it with whatever, hypothetically, while we have verifiable evidence of at least partially what's causing this. Leading heart disease experts say, of course, who do they mean? Whoever they want to pick. I doubt they're the actual leading heart disease experts. Say that death statistics are concerning, but not surprising. For years, cardiac deaths have been the leading cause of death in Australia and most places in the world. Yeah, that's the truth. The pandemic has only increased the risk factors. But, you know, we don't ask if it was something else that was going on before this, whether injections or industrial pollution or military pollution or 5G or glyphosate or God knows what else could be causing these things. And they do have these factors. But the pandemic has only increased these risk factors. That's all it is. It's simple. They just want to blame what happened. But the reality is the data shows you the opposite. And we'll show you that next. Now, here's the interesting part about this, though. Where this is going, as even uh, uh, Edward Dowd points out. A shift in the story is coming, he argues. Quote, one of his sources in the government, which I have a hard time trusting any of that ever. It means nothing to me until we see something to back it up. Because we have a lot of this. My secret source says, but this guy does have connections and so on. So we'll have to, I agree this makes sense. That the White House is potentially preparing, and again, my point, I've been saying this since this first conversation of long COVID came out, but here's the interesting part, specifically preparing to declare the epidemic of sudden death. So the collapsing athletes argument on long COVID, you know, the thing we haven't even proven actually exists. And that's very clear. Even to this day, they do not have, there's arguments about what is causing it, which means they don't know. So you can't say we know it's COVID causing this. In fact, on top of that, their definition of it is just anybody who has these symptoms after having an infection within, thir- some, I think it's 90 days, I forget the time frame. So it could be literally anything. As long as you have an infection at some point and then eventually have symptoms again, they're going to call it long COVID. Are we, I mean, do we not see the injections causing those same symptoms? Fake news, even though we know that's what's happening, even though they admit that's what's happening. But you connect the two things, they go, no, not possible. Because, and he says, and potentially, believe it or not, climate change. <laughs> Of course, this is the arguments we've been putting forward. So let's get into the new study that shows you that long COVID is not actually what's happening. And then connecting this to the point about where this all seems to be going, right? The excess death, the myocarditis, whether this is being done to us in general. Long COVID outcomes at one year after mild SARS-CoV-2 infection, a nationwide study, January 11th. Here's what it says. Results, COVID-19 infection was significantly associated with increased risks in early and late periods for uh, and these uh, smelling and, and tasting. That's what those mean. So that's the, that's the only significant thing. They, they, you, they, anybody that got this, they apparently had smelling and, and tasting problems, or at least reported, because that's what this comes back to, basically reporting. But it says cognitive impairment, uh, dyspnea, which was, I believe, fainting, right? Or which one? Let me see. Oh, no, excuse me. Difficulty breathing. What was the fainting? I forget now. Uh, weakness and palpitations. Right. So those are the things that we're that's those are the things we're broadly calling, you know, pretty much what I mean, these are very basic things that all of which can be caused by the injection. And we know that they've told you that over 80 percent of the population's gotten shots in their body. So the point is, and that's going to be the same point we make in a moment, that you have to factor that in. I'm not saying that you I mean, this is where you get to the point where it seems they're trying to remove the control in this experiment. Because if you don't have anybody without injections, well, you can't make the argument anymore. That's where this seems to be going. 
but it says, and with significant but lower excess risk for strep and dizziness, hair loss, chest pain, cough, malaysia, uh, mal, uh, mal, what is that? I thought that was something else. Oh, this is pain in the muscles and respiratory distress were significantly increased only during the early phase. Okay, so we're not, there's no long anything happening here. Findings remain consistent across SARS-CoV-2 variants. So even with other variants, vaccinated patients with a breakthrough SARS-CoV-2 infection had a lower risk of uh, of the, uh, was it again? I just looked at it. It was the, uh, oh, the labor breathing. I keep wanting to think that's fainting for some reason. And similar risk for other outcomes compared with unvaccinated infected patients. <laughs> so wait a minute. You just told us that people that got the injection had basically the same outcome as unvaccinated, unvaccinated infected patients. So pretty sure it's not long COVID. Then it says this nationwide study suggests that patients with mild COVID are at risk for a small number of health outcomes, most of which are resolved within a year from diagnosis. Now that when you read into the study is not, it, the point is by and large, almost all of these are quickly done away with that the overlap with the unvaccinated are very similar. And I mean, the point is guys, this is not what they're calling, calling this. And here's what Alex Bernison points out. All you need to know about long COVID, a big study compared outcomes one month, one year later in folks who had COVID with a match group who didn't. The broadest measure of serious outcomes, hospitalizations was exactly the same in the groups. That was the point they made at the end. Why? Because as he points out, long COVID is not real. Well, that's that you could take it. I mean, the argument being that real is, is a term you could debate, seeing as how in this concept, a peer reviewed study on the JAMA network argues that it's psychosomatic. Which there are people that challenge this. There's studies that challenge this. But you should consider it because it's scientific and it's peer-reviewed. These findings of this cross-sectional analysis of a large population-based French cohort suggest that persistent physical symptoms after COVID infection may be more associated with the belief in having had COVID than with actually having the infection. I mean, come on, guys. This is at least some of it because they're, they're being, it's suggestive. It's like the whole, it's, it's like the concept of the trans movement that's being pushed on young children. It's the power of suggestion, which we know to some degree does have an effect. Be it same game, right? You know, for some degree it will, for sure, because that's just how this works. But when you bring it up as part of it, or even just bring it into the conversation, could this be something? No, fake news, because we're told to dismiss it. Again, things we can prove at least have some effect. But here, is where we get into the reality that this is a cover. At least as I see it. Then you guys come to your own conclusions about it. Everything we're seeing is going is in some way trying to be laid at the feet of your unhealthy body that has nothing to do with the injections that are dealing people they just put in it. Have you heard of stroke season? Yeah, I haven't either. Apparently, it's a thing they want you to think. Now, look, we're, you can look into this, and apparently there's been discussions of this in the past, but I think it's interesting that it has most people have no idea about this. And on top of that, it's weirdly associated with the flu season. <laughs> well, ask yourself, as I wrote down here, why does this stroke season follow flu season? Well, likely not long flu causing it, seeing as how that's barely something well, I'm going to show you next. That is something new they're now pushing. But before COVID land, that wasn't something we talked about. So what else is happening consistently during flu season? The injections they're giving people, which we need to start questioning all of these things because it's the same game. So is it possible that the stroke season was simply just a side effect of the injections that we were barely able to question before COVID-19? Something to ask yourself. But check out stroke season. What is this link between influenza, infection, and stroke? 
Yeah, I didn't know about this either until last year, but it turns out that after flu season, about three or four weeks later, there is a stroke season. So get this. So this doctor's going, yeah, I've never heard of this before, but get, but my handlers told me, right? The CDC said this is a thing, so therefore it's a thing, guys. That's how these people think. I just made this point with Scott Adams and plenty of others. They're just, oh, it is because CDC said. When KJP was asked, how do you know it's Delta variant? Because the CDC told us, you stupid. Didn't say stupid, but she looked at him like, you're an idiot. How do you? Because we just told you, the CDC said. Because they don't even understand why that's a dumb thing to say. You mean you don't know for sure? You mean you blindly took what they said? It doesn't matter whether they're experts or not. The point is they could be wrong, couldn't they? This is a guy who is up here telling you, we now know there's a stroke season because he was just told there's a stroke season. Sounds smart, doesn't it? Shouldn't you question that? And like you said, most of Canada is uh, getting down off of a of a big uh, hump of of flu. So now we're starting to see strokes and a friend yeah, like the flu that just didn't exist during COVID land. And now we just suddenly jump back up again right when COVID seems to go back down. But don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. And of, uh, one of my colleagues actually mentioned that at work the other day. Said, have you noticed how many strokes we're seeing? It's a lot more than usual, it feels like. So anecdotally, we're starting to see that. Ah, okay, so you do notice more, but because the say, they told you, don't worry, it's a normal stroke season, you just go, oh, okay then. <laughs> Even though it's more and we all feel and see that it's more in all of our practices, we're just going to go along with narrative because that's what we do. But again, do you think that it's long flu? I mean, that's the only argument that's being made here. Like, if you have a, an entire months away season that suddenly more things are happening that you associate with the flu, well, what do you call that? You're, you're making up long flu right there. That's what you're doing. Or it's associated perfectly with the mass vaccination of something you barely tested with this guessed at about the variant every year. I mean, think about the overlaps here we're talking about with COVID. Remember, when you get the variant wrong, you can cause antibody-dependent enhancement. That can cause strokes. It can cause all sorts of things. But no, don't talk about any of that because fake news, conspiracy theory. Well, I, this is that tweet I shared before about the, the pre-vaccination infection fatality rate being less than the flu, right? Here's that argument coming out as I expected. I mean, we just talked about this game. <laughs> I predicted this, the coming long flu. And here it is. People can get long haul symptoms from the seasonal flu, not just SARS-CoV-2. Here we go. With either infection, it's important to treat early and avoid excessive antibody response. Yeah, that's exactly the opposite of what these things do. But long flu. Right. Before I even go to the, does anybody, have you ever heard of this before? Apparently, since the beginning of COVID, they've been trying to subtly push this out. Guess what? People also suffer long flu. A brand new study shows. That's interesting. Here's another one. All these are post-COVID-19 land. Move over, long COVID. Meet long flu. <laughs> like it's a whole brand new thing. Over the course of the pandemic, we've become familiar with this term. You know, the thing they've just made up because it's not proven. I mean, I keep making this point. I show you the current studies on this where they go, we don't know, but it's possible between these three things. It's a science. It's a science.org, I believe, study. Highly regarded peer reviewed platform saying there's these three things we might be causing this. So that simply clearly means we don't know for sure. So yet, why then is the CDC, the government and everybody else screaming that we know this and it is COVID because there's a game being played? And now it's going to be played everywhere else because that's the world we're in now. We're sprinting into the biosecurity state technocratic panopticon. Oh, here, guess what? It's not just flu, though. And it's pneumonia. 
not just COVID, there's also long flu and pneumonia. June 29, 2022. Wow, wow. That's amazing how he's just all of a sudden long everything. Or or are we seeing things that are being called that, like SIDS and SADS and all these catch-all arguments that we don't know, like MISC or, you know, long COVID. It's all the same thing. There's all these different catches, catalogs, these little corners of pockets where they just jam things in they haven't proven. That's what those are by definition. Sudden infant death syndrome, sudden adult death syndrome. Look it up. By definition, it's we don't know what caused this. So we call it that. And yet they diagnose people with that. That's like saying, I'm diagnosing you with, I don't know what's happening. But it actually happens. Think about how wild that is. So back to this point again. The coming potential claim of long COVID being the cause of this. But what was his argument? It wasn't just for general illness or any of the problems, but specifically to cover up the sudden death problem. Now, what is clearly associated with that? Let's not forget that pre-COVID-19, myocarditis specifically was considered one of the leading causes of sudden death in athletes. It's amazing, isn't it? And seeing as how we know for sure that this thing can cause myocarditis, you can debate about how much, then it's a no-brainer <clears throat> that to some degree, these injections are adding to that problem. It's pretty common sense, isn't it? But not to them. You, I, you're walking right through that logic, and at the end, they'll go, no, but all fake news. Can't say that. Can't go that far. Now, here is the immediate response that you get from people. But COVID-19 is worse. COVID-19 causes more. Well, certainly possible. But here is the peer-reviewed study. And according to Andrew Bostom and plenty of others, the only controlled pre-COVID-19 vax era population-based data that we have, which finds very clearly we did not observe an increased incident of either pericarditis or myocarditis. In either of them, and I've shown you this many times, April 15, 2022, a large population-based study in Israel very clearly finds, and again, this was the Pfizer's lab area. You're going to get some of the best data specifically tailored towards Pfizer mRNA injections, which I argue is the main focus, and they found post-COVID-19 infection was not associated with either of them. But you know what they're finding? Plenty of myocarditis all over the place being caused by injections. Here is one of the other studies being pointed at. And I wanted to compare these things and show you my thoughts. Here's Dr. Ian Copeland, PhD. Help me out, anti-vaxxers. You know, great way to start, right? Because it's not possible that there's somebody out here who just realizes there's more to ask that maybe is pro-vaccine. But no, if you think that this is being caused by injections, you're anti-vax because that's how they're trained. Clearly intelligent, right? And meta-analysis with 60 million participants showed the rate of myocarditis is seven times higher. Sure sounds compelling, doesn't it? First of all, Chris Martinson says apples to oranges. There's no such singular thing as COVID, which is a great point to make. There's only COVID by variant. Alpha is not the same as beta, gamma, delta. That's a good point. Assuming we're talking about something that's there, right? Their narrative is these things have mutated. So why are we just calling it the same thing? That's a good point. But especially Omicron, B 12 et cetera, and so forth, entirely different clinical presentations and outcomes, right? So doing what he's doing is meaningless, but they don't care about that. It's all about narrative. And the end of the day is here's the study. August 29th, right? So it's interesting that this gets disregarded, peer-reviewed, ram-controlled, population-based on MDPI, Journal of Clinical Medicine, right? And, you know, equally regarded frontiers. I mean, I would argue this one's probably a little more regard, highly regarded, but either way, they're both peer-reviewed. And this one is comparing them. Now, let me cut to the chase on this. Bottom line is there's, a, there's very obvious reasons in this that I find this to be intentionally misleading, especially since ask yourself how it's possible we can have such diametrically opposite findings. 
somebody's making something up, right? I mean, there's got to be some kind of discrepancy here, right? Well, let me show you what I think. Because in this study, you can go through and find that there were very clear differences between the groups. On this one, though, there's one main thing that stands out to me. And I think you already probably know what we pointed out in the past. Well, first of all, here's the conclusion. So for those that only read this, which I, don't, I can't say for sure whether this guy did that or not, but there's a lot of things in here that stand out to me that this, if you're a PhD, you'd probably find. But here's what it finds. If you only read this, you might think it's compelling. In this systemic review and meta-analysis, which, by the way, again, means that they chose some and omitted others, which doesn't mean for sure that they, like usually there's, you know, metrics they choose and say, well, these ones are good and these ones don't meet our barrier. But within that choice, you often find when you look, there's ones that were not picked for certain reasons that aren't actually about whether they're valid or not. You'll find random controlled trial peer review studies that don't get included. And you ask, why is that? And I've made that point before. Well, clearly because that one finds the opposite of what they're talking about. Now, I don't know whether it happened here. You can look for yourself, but it says, we found that the risk of myocarditis is more than sevenfold higher. It's quite off. It's quite different, isn't it? in persons who were infected with the SARS-CoV-2 than those who received the injection. These findings support the continued use of these injections. Among all eligible persons, the CDC and WHO recommends. Funding, funding, funding. Results were reported following preferred reporting items. Which I'm not even sure what that means, to be honest. I thought that stood out to me. Just <laughs> So these reports followed preferred reporting items, which seems like something they're choosing, maybe cherry-picking. I don't know, but that's not the main point. Here's what it says. Publication bias which is usually what they do to show, you know, where possible biases could be found, you know, whether, you know, it, it's anything that could show that maybe they missed something or so on. And it says publication bias was assessed only for the vaccine cohort studies. Okay, the whole point of this is to compare the vaccinated to the unvaccinated and say which one has a higher risk of myocarditis, specifically after getting COVID-19, right? Or rather specifically the vaccinated and then the vaccine potentially causing uh, myocarditis and then people that were uninfected but got COVID and then it caused myocarditis. There's so many overlaps to this, it's ridiculous. First of all, because the main point, I don't, I don't want to make it convoluted, the main point, if you only assessed biases in the vaccine cohort studies, that means you did not, as it says, due to the small number of studies in the infection cohort, so the uninjected that got COVID and allegedly got myocarditis, we did not assess publication bias for these studies. You know what that means? That they did not look in those studies and find out whether or not those people ever got vaccinated. Oops. Isn't that the, isn't that the only thing that matters? If you're doing a study about people that were injected versus those that never were and got COVID and got myocarditis, shouldn't you care to find out whether the people in those studies in the infected cohort study ever got injections? But they didn't do those because a bias would very clearly be like these ones could have had. It's ridiculous. On top of that, the time frame we're talking about here, the point is, as they keep telling you, 80% of people had injections. So how are we going to pretend these people did not? The point is that everywhere you do these studies, they don't associate that because they're simply pointing at people that got an, inje an infection and then looking at a certain time frame and saying whether or not they got myocarditis. The point is that the injection involved with that makes it even worse. Just something to consider because you don't know because they didn't do their they didn't do the study the assessment about whether that was biased due to the small number of studies. That's simple enough, isn't it? Now it says we found that the risk of myocarditis increased by a factor of two and 15 after vaccination and infection respectively, which is interesting for me. Again, the main point was right here. 
if you're not going to try to find out whether the people that are supposedly the unvaccinated group ever also had injections, then it's meaningless to me. But the interesting part about it is, oh, I just lost it, is that aside from the, the finding of the people after, uh, after infection being 15, they're telling you right now that you definitely have an increased risk of myocarditis after getting injected, which is something they seem to be soft peddling everywhere. So even within this study, they're still saying, yes, you have a danger of myocarditis, which they seem to be quietly admitting all over the place. But my point there is we know that we've been saying that that's, in fact, why I was originally censored for saying it was even possible. But how can you force somebody to take this when you know that the injection or excuse me, that the whatever we're calling COVID, even according to the peer reviewed studies today, are, is not a danger. And then even the CDC and the Oxford calculator are showing you that 19 and under are at basically no risk. How are you forcing them to take this to go to school when you know it's increasing their risk of myocarditis, which is predominantly more dangerous for the, I mean, it's just so plainly obvious. Then it says similarly mechanisms of myocarditis associated with COVID-19 vaccines include, but are not limited to, look at what they list off here. Molecular mimicry, autoantibody formation, mRNA immune reactivity, trigger of pre-existing dysregulated immune processes, and genetic predisposition. Aren't those all supposed to be fake news? They're literally going, yeah, that increase of myocarditis associated with the injections are not, are not even limited to things that they've all shouted down as fake. You know who first talked about molecular mimicry? James Lyons-Weiler, PhD, right in the beginning of all this, and they said he was a maniac. Autoantibody formation, he's not. Autoantibody formation? We're talking about antibody-dependent enhancement. These are things that they don't even admit to people. And here they are in a study, secondhand talking about this, like this is not the important part. You are hurting people with these injections. And, and I argue lying in a very deceitful way about the risk after COVID, if that's even really there, which is an important point. Although myocarditis, it says, is suspected by clinical diagnosis, cardiac biomarkers and ECG changes Confirm confirmation is made by performing an uh, endomyocardial biopsy or with a cardiac MRI. Okay, so what they're saying is uh, myocarditis is suspected by clinical diagnosis and these ECG changes and so on, but the confirmation to be sure that it's there is by specifically these biopsies or the MRIs. But then it goes on to say, however, not all medical centers had the facilities to perform these biopsies. So don't forget the most important part that we talked about. Dr. Malone and the expert talking about these studies is that they found that these high-level athletes, almost 50% of them, when actually doing the, bi the biopsies and MRIs, turned out they did have some low-level myocarditis that wouldn't have shown up otherwise. So the fact is, you may have had a hell of a lot of these biopsies that weren't done in places that couldn't do them that we never found out. And that, But that point goes to either side of this, right? It, but the point is that that's not sound, <laughs> So we there's potential myocarditis that we don't even know is there. That's the whole point. I just find this whole thing to be not, if you want to look at a sound study, there's plenty of other ones like this that are very, very well done. And that's my point about showing you this. There's other doctors that are going, look, this is the only controlled population-based data that we have. And all they're doing is showing you things that are not as sound. But you can come to your own conclusions about it. The point is you're not going to find guys like this coming out and saying, but here's the alternative argument. No. It's absolute. Help me out, anti-vaxxers. You're all dumb and wrong, and here's the truth. <laughs> Very objective. Now, here's the thing we also pointed out before, just to add to the point. Changes of ECG per parameters after the Pfizer injection in senior high school students. And the point? 
out of 763 students, 17% of them after this injection had at least one cardiac symptom after the second dose. Many, many of them that were just palpitations and pain, but the point is that's having an effect on your heart. That's not a good thing. But the main point was abnormal ECGs were obtained in 51 of them. And of which, of which five, essentially, one having myocarditis, four having arrhythmias. But just think about the numbers there. We're talking about 51 people having abnormal ECGs, which we just talked about being an indicator of myocarditis, out of 763. This is a ridiculously high number, even in the number. I mean, everything about this shows you that we're hurting people or they're hurting people. The risk of this is too high. And that is not even as damaging as what we just talked about. One in 800? Serious adverse events. This is just a real peer-reviewed study finding basic risk that they don't want to talk about. And all they can do is go, it's worse from COVID. Fine. Even if you think that's true, how can you argue this needs to be forced on people? And the point is what they're saying is not true. And there's plenty of evidence out there, guys. This goes back to May of last year. Remember this one, new study. This is in Israel. Again, links COVID vaccines to 25% increase in cardiac arrest. 25% increase in heart attack for people to take the injection, but we're going to pretend it's the other way around. Here's the study itself. April 28th, increased emergency cardiovascular events among under 40 population in Israel during the vaccine rollout. It's just, it couldn't be any more clear. Serious adverse events of special interest. This is the one we pointed out before. They, a secondary analysis of their own phase three trial. Remember, you know, the ones yelling one in a million again, found a 36% higher risk of serious adverse events in the vaccine group, 18 per 10,000, which essentially boils down to, I think it was one in, well, actually, no, this was, this was, well, there, we'll go with one in 800 since that's what the, the author posted. I don't think, I think it was higher than that. Either way, one in a thousand is catastrophically bad. So their own data shows you they lied and that it's wildly dangerous. And this is still going. Don't forget, by the way, we just went over this very important study, peer-reviewed, that finds that repeat boosters just destroy your immune system and increase your risk of infection and illness. Another study. I mean, I went over this in depth on this show. And this is a very important one, by the way. There's a lot of things this creates, specifically the regulatory T-cells, TREGs, which cause all sorts of other things to happen. Most importantly, that dramatically reduce your immune system or its efficacy on every, everything else. This is not what's supposed to be happening in your body. Now, here's Aaron Siri pointing out, FDA just released another 58,000 pages of Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine docs, including some very important stuff. I haven't even begun to touch on this. I just went through some of, the, some of the first ones I saw. But most importantly, as he points out, an FDA memo that basically gave them the license on June 17th, when in fact it wasn't even licensed until August 23. So they gave them, and that's exactly what it says. I'll show you right here. Oh, actually, this was the this was the first one right there. So this is the FDA. This was not supposed to be seen by us. As it says, June 17th. I am authorizing the release of this license number. The 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 this is the licensure for Pfizer Biotech in advance of the typical notification of the approval letter. A significant consideration in this decision is that this product has been authorized, here we go, under the emergency use authorization, and therefore has been reviewed. The point is that they're arguing, well, it's already been authorized. Well, no, that in and of itself was unjust based on lies. And so they're standing on that same thing and going, here, rush this out for them too. 
So they quietly gave them this information before it even actually happened. I mean, we don't get to know this. This is the FDA not doing its job. In fact, the opposite of its job. And here is the other, here's a couple of things I thought was very interesting that was released in this data dump. Now you can check it all out for yourself. The link is here and here, by the way, and you can check out all these, a whole bunch of documents. It's all stuff that they didn't want you to see. Remember, they tried to wait 75 years to show this stuff. Why? Because they know that that does not look good. They're, they're lying to you guys. And here's the first document. Congressional Research Service posted September 29, 2021. FDA approval. This is about community, mind you. And it says August 23rd, 2021. Again, that's the outward discussion, right? Because we're talking about June 17th when this actually happened. The FDA announced its regulatory approval to Pfizer Biotech. It says under the brand name Comirnaty. You know, the thing they've never given, despite lying to everybody about it, giving the military and so on. It says, although Comirnaty is fully approved, even them saying fully approved, how stupid that is, for administration to individuals 16 years or older, an EUA remains in effect for the Pfizer Biotech. Now, what's interesting, by the way, is this is a, the dynamic today that realized that I don't think they've ever moved that. So they're lying about this being approved, but realize that if they have an approved version for 16, or I shouldn't say lying about being approved, lying that they're using the approved version, because on paper they've done this, but if it's only for 16 years or older, if those 16 or olders are getting the Pfizer BioNTech, then there's, they, then there's a problem there, right? Because the whole point is they have indemnity. If they're, if they're The way they're playing this game is that the, the emergency use authorization gives them indemnity because of the way they played it. And the, the approval part of it is supposed to, along with the child schedule being uh, recommended, give them complete immunity in general. But this is half and half, right? You've got 16 or older for the approved version and then EUA on the other side of it. So if those things overlap... There's a crime being done. There's, there's a problem. The point is this is happening right now. The same way that they lapse on their emergency declaration for four days and still do all this stuff. They know they're running off the rails and they just don't care. There's a lot of examples like this where they're playing fast and loose. The point is they're not allowed to have emergency authorization if they've gotten approval. That's right in the documentation. So again, if they're giving the 16-year-old the emergency authorization, they're breaking the law and, and above. And they are, which is the point. Here's another. Now, this document is the primary one that shows the kind of the out, the listing of information that goes to the places that give these out. Right. By the way, I'm just going to shout this out for the spaces. It looks like my phone might die, so it's going to cut off early for you guys, possibly. But this was posted as of. Or this one was the same one. Just This one has the date on it. August 2021. Right now, what I want to point out is right this moment, they're trying to push back on the risk of myocarditis and the whole discussion. But in August 2021, all the way back then, realize that it says right here. Post-marketing demonstrates increased risk of myocarditis, particularly within seven days following the second dose, including community. Now, that's interesting to me because that's not what it said outwardly when I mean, here, let's just go right to this document. This is what it says right now. This is the most current version of this document. It says myocarditis and pericarditis are serious conditions that may occur con uh, concomitantly, meaning simultaneously, which kind of makes it sound like it's not associated, and that may range in clinical importance. How in the world is that the publicly posted statement when the, when the behind-the-scenes statement amongst themselves all the way back then says that? says literally that it's an increased risk 
following the second dose. The point is, this is why this stuff is being hidden from all of us. As Aaron Siri's pointing this stuff out. And you can go into a lot of the stuff in here. Rolling down here, you can see the same kind of stuff we pointed out. I mean, look at how big this is. This is what's supposed to be over there. Post-marketing demonstrates an increased risk of this seven days after the second dose. All that information, and this is what they give you. Hiding that. And then altered immunocompromise. Immunocompromised persons, including individuals receiving this therapy, may have a diminished immune response. And on top of that, when it's not, just not working, it actually can hurt them. And that's the group they pretend. Well, we can't give them those, so we also do it to protect them. Except that's not what happened. They pushed it on them first. Elderly, immunocompromised, children. They pushed it on the ones they claim we need to protect. I made that point earlier. It doesn't make any sense. And I think there was one more point here. Oh, it's same thing in pregnancy. There is a pregnancy exposure registry that monitors pregnancy outcomes in women exposed to commodity, right? This is the thing they don't put out there for you. Because remember, we already showed you this, that there is an exposure issue where people can be pregnant and be exposed to somebody who just got the vaccine, which means they're aware of a level of shedding. They don't want you to know that. This has been proven. Women are vac- who are vaccinated with commodity during pregnancy are encouraged to enroll in this registry. <laughs> and since all pregnancies have a risk, the point is they say down here that the available available data on commodity administered to pregnant women are insufficient to inform vaccine-associated risks in pregnancy. Yeah, is that what they're telling you? No, they're saying safe and effective. Go and do it because COVID's more dangerous. It's, it's, it's the same thing everywhere you look. They're lying. They're hiding the risks because vaccine hesitancy, right? So here, same point, use in pregnancy, breastfeeding, same thing. Oh, I think, uh, I forget if I'm getting to that next. Hold on, let me close some tabs really quickly. All right. Where were we? Here we are, getting to the important stuff. So here's where we get into the discussion of this. So if we're talking about myocarditis and the hiding of the risk, and what's actually happening right now, which seems to be the, bo- the main focus and the most obvious thing they don't want you to talk about. Well, let's reiterate something we've already covered. Here's the article where we discussed this. This is back from August 31st. U.S.-funded research on coronavirus-induced myocarditis. FDA-authorized new jab in the Green Police. Different stuff. But this is an important conversation. And here is just the tweet, which I first saw in Gumby, by the way. Which, See, again, I'm pretty sure I am following Gumby. But it shows as not when you, because Twitter's problematic these days. <laughs> okay, well, I was. See, lot, same, it's the same old Twitter, guys. Ralph Barrick's lab spent a considerable amount of time and money in the 80s and 90s researching how to induce heart disease with coronaviruses. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, this just gets plainly obvious. And I went over this ex- deep in that uh, episode if you want to watch it. But you can all the documents are there. Coronavirus-induced myocarditis in rabbits. Coronavirus-induced rabbit cardiomyopathy. Why would you do this? This is weapons. This is bioweaponry. You're making weapons directed. These are bioweapons, guys. That's what it is. You just can't look at this any other way. You're making weapons that are made to create heart problems, specifically myocarditis, using coronaviruses. And we're not supposed to ask whether this is connected? It's everywhere. And there's a whole bunch of research on this exact focal point. Here's the document itself. You can see just one example right there. Coronavirus-induced myocarditis. Coronavirus-induced 
myocarditis. And yet they're going to stand here and act like this is not even possible today. Work that one out for yourself. Here's the actual episode. Make sure you watch it. It's important. This brings me to, I think, the most important part today. This is why I wanted to make sure we kind of wrapped up with this main focus, guys. This is a, and this is an article written by Whitney Webb, posted May 4th, 2020. Not only is this a yet another example of how monumentally ahead or how you know incredibly ahead Whitney was on this topic. I mean, shockingly so. Even, even looking back now, there's parts of going like, oh my God, I forgot about that. Showing you that this was always always a DARPA NIH agenda that coronavirus, whether capitalized on or created or let out or however you want to look at it, very clearly fast-tracked everything they were working on and gave them the justification to use it or test it or push us in the direction of wherever they want this to go. Technology developed, as it reads, by the Pentagon's controversial research branch is getting a huge boost amid the current coronavirus crisis, with little attention going to the agency's ulterior motives for developing said technologies, their potential for weaponization, or their unintended consequences. Now, please remember, May 4th, 2020. I mean, they didn't even have injections going out until the end of this year. I mean, just think about how prescient that is. I'll come back to this in a second. There was uh, this graph. Just like you can just see that ultimately, oh, here, it's the, that's not the link. Did I put it in there? Oh, I thought I did. I guess not. Well, the, I have, I'll bring it up while this is loading. So we can see time frame. The point, though, is that in 2020, I think December was when like the, the first ones were really going out in, in like the, the few people for trials. And this is what she's writing. In January, well before the coronavirus crisis would result in lockdowns, quarantines, and economic devastation in the United States and beyond, the U.S. central community, the U.S. intelligence community, and the Pentagon were working with the National Security Council to create still classified plans to respond to an imminent pandemic. It has since been alleged that the intelligence and military intelligence communities knew about a likely pandemic in the United States as early as last November, and potentially even before then. Now, you could argue this because they were testing this, or because it was something that they covered up. There's evidence across the board. I mean, everywhere, there's, I think, 10 plus countries that I've identified that have on the record statements that they found this before it was seen in, in Wuhan. Now, looking back, like they found it, evidence of it in, let's say, 2019 in Canada. It's all out there, but nobody cares about that for some reason. Now, it says, why would the intelligence community or another faction of the U.S. government knowingly allow a crisis such as this to occur? The answer is clear if one looks at history, as times of crisis have been have often been used by the U.S. government to implement policies that would normally be rejected by the American public, ranging from censorship of the press to mass surveillance networks. All sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Though the government response to the September 11 attacks, like the Patriot Act, may be the most accessible examples to many Americans, U.S. government efforts to limit the flow of, quote, dangerous journalism and surveil the population go back as early as the First World War. Many of these policies, whether the Patriot Act after 9-11 or World War I-era civilian spy networks, did little, if anything, to protect the homeland, but instead led to increased surveillance and control that persisted long after the crisis that spurred them, that, that spurred them had ended. Using this history as a lens, it is possible to look at the current coronavirus crisis 
to see how long-standing agendas of ever-expanding mass surveillance and media censorship are again getting a dramatic boost thanks to the chaos unleashed by the coronavirus pandemic. And before I go past that, I thought it would be interesting to play the clip about how they're admitting casually in this tank before COVID, you know, how these things are usually started. Same thing he's mentioning there. And whether we're time, we're in the biosecurity state, I understand. So this is just the new level of warfare. As Whitney coined, your body is the new battlefield. Here's Patrick Clausen telling you exactly how they've played this game before. And they're doing it again today. Crisis initiation is really tough. And it's very hard for me to see how the United States uh, president can get us to war with Iran. Um, which leads me to conclude that if, in fact, compromise is not coming, that the traditional way of America gets to war is what would be best for U.S. interests. Uh, some people might think that Mr. Roosevelt wanted to get us into World War II, as David mentioned. You may recall we had to wait for Pearl Harbor. Some people might think Mr. Wilson wanted to get us into World War I. You may recall he had to wait for the Lusitania episode. Some people might think that Mr. Johnson wanted to send troops to Vietnam. You may recall we had to wait for the Gulf of Tonkin episode. Uh, we didn't go to war with Spain until the USS, uh, yes. until the Maine exploded. And may I point out that Mr. Lincoln did not feel he could call out the Federal Army until Fort Sumter was attacked, which is why he ordered the commander at Fort Sumter to do exactly that thing which the South Carolinians had said would cause an attack. Now, this is classic U.S. policy, U.S. government, right? It's the same thing with, with Russia, the conversation there, which it's on the record that they knew. I even had video of this exact thing discussing this before where they knew. Actually, it's, it's Biden. I'll, I'll play it on a different show. Discussing this back when he was still coherent, how he knew the one thing that would cause Russia to react is the specifically discussing the Balkan states in this conversation. But it's the same game. They know that what they're doing is intended to drive a response so they can blame them for being the aggressor. This is classic. And he's admitting this right here because he doesn't think this is going to be. It's always think tank. We're just conversing. He literally just admitted that Lincoln knew he would do this. He took action to and make sure that it would be attacked so he could blame them and take action. And what he listed off was all provable false flags, guys. Gulf of, Gulf of Tonkin. These kind of things, are, you can prove them on the record with documentation, with statements from people involved that they allowed these things to happen or made them happen to be able to take action. That's what he's talking about right now. So if, in fact, the Iranians aren't going to compromise, it would be best if somebody else started the war. Right. So it's the same game we're talking about today, right? It'd be best if somebody else started it. Or in this case, that we would release something and blame something else to justify our action, which is the experiment. So, you know, of course, you could wait for a natural thing to happen, or you could create something, or you could spur it into reality and make that the justification. It's the same game. So here's where we get into the technology angle of this, guys. And this goes, again, back to long before COVID. She's writing about this in 2020. DARPA dystopia. Most of these technologies garnering positive media coverage thanks to COVID-19 were developed several years ago. They include the DARPA-funded platforms, like the mRNA platforms, used to produce DNA and RNA vaccines. Look at that. Classes of vaccine that have, has never been approved for human use in the U.S. and involve injecting foreign genetic material into the human body. Notably, it is this very class of vaccine now being produced by DARPA-partnered companies that billionaire and global health philanthropist, in quotes, Bill Gates recently asserted has him most excited relative to the COVID-19 vaccine candidates. Interesting, right? Here's the plot, the time frame, so you can see as we were discussing. So remember, January 11th, Moderna 
got the Chinese code. Before they, it had been isolated, I don't think it ever has been. But the point is, China had admitted at this point that they hadn't isolated it, which shows you that the platform was always the point. This was the beginning of the platform. Now they're trying to pretend like that's not what they did so they can do it going forward. But this is what happened. They got the code and they pumped out injections. Two days later, they had the mRNA-1273, which is the same thing they still have today. Two days later. By February 24th, they'd already shipped the first batch. Right. So the point is, you can see that the actual first injection in the study or the trials, I believe, happened right here. March, March 16th, 2020. Right. So the point is that the mass adoption of this given to people out in the world didn't happen until closer to 2021. I believe or technically, I think that we just looked this up earlier. The very first person in the real world setting was just before the end of 2020, at least according to the narrative. So the point is. This is what he was excited about in 2020. All of them talking about this thing that had never succeeded. Exactly what we now point out. In vivo, in vivo nano platforms are one of the most concerning overlaps here, guys. This gets into the concept I already discussed with Charles Lieber. All the things that were they were looking to do beforehand. Then suddenly we've got a pandemic. And what do you know? We're pushing in all the same technology in a different way, though. Lipid nanoparticles, mRNA. All of this stuff overlaps with a very concerning direction. Now, I don't know for sure that this is what this is, but why wouldn't we ask this when this was everything they were trying to accomplish before? And then suddenly this happens and miraculously four companies simultaneously succeed, simultaneously succeed with the one thing nobody has succeeded successfully done before, an mRNA injection. Simultaneously? Really? Is that what happened or was this a massive experiment? In 2006, DARPA announced its Predicting Health and Disease Program, otherwise known as PhD, which sought to determine whether an individual will develop an infectious disease prior to the onset of symptoms. Medical pre-crime, something Whitney and I have talked about a lot. The PhD program planned to accomplish this by, quote, identifying changes in the baseline state of human health through frequent surveillance. And you may want to think by cameras and such, but no, we're talking about internal surveillance. Exactly what you, uh, Harari always talks about today with the Great Reset, with a specific focus on viral upper respiratory pathogens. Look at that. It's almost like they knew. Three years later, in 2010, DARPA funded researchers at the Duke University, creating the foundation for this tool, which the in vivo nano platforms, which would use the genetic analysis of blood samples to determine if someone is infected with a virus before they show symptoms. That's live active monitoring in your body. Preemptive diagnoses would be transmitted to a national web-based influenza map available via smartphone. In 2010, they're talking about this. Guys, this is the next step they're doing now. They're talking about having something internally that can check you and transmit to a national database, and then you have to comply. It says, following the creation of DARPA's, and guy, by all the links are in here. You can check all this for yourself. Following the creation of DARPA's BTO in 2014, this particular program gave rise to the In Vivo Nano Platform Program. Implantable nano platforms composed of biocompatible, non-toxic materials in vivo, in your body, sensing of small and large molecules of biological interest. Multiplex detection of, anal of analytes at, cr at clinically relevant concentrations and external interrogation of the nano platforms with using implanted electronics for communication. Direct quote. 
that says classes of nanoparticles to sense and treat illness, disease, and infection on the inside. Could that not be what just happened? Is that not possible? Of course it's possible. Do I know for sure? No. But if this was their goal, if this was what they were trying to accomplish, why wouldn't we ask whether that's what just happened? Especially since how many times I've pointed this out, that on the record in 2018 and plenty of other times, many different levels of the establishment argued that if this needed to happen, like a self-spreading vaccine or some kind of manipulation of your body to help everybody else, then it should be done covertly because you wouldn't understand. Compulsory moral bio-enhancement. Now, I won't read the whole thing as I've done many times before. Just simply clearly, it says it is morally preferable for compulsory, forced, moral bio-enhancement to be administered without the recipients knowing that they are receiving the enhancement. Better for whom exactly? I think you know. The point is that that could be what we just went through or still are. DARPA's in vivo nano platform program has since helped to finance this and produce, quote, soft, flexible hydrogels that are injected just beneath the skin to perform health monitoring and that sync to a smartphone app to give the use immediate health insights. Hey, that already exists. Think about that, or at least the prototype. A product currently marketed and created by the DARPA-funded and National Institute of Health-funded company, Profusa. And remember, they pushed that in the beginning. The little green thing inside the vial, the Profusa chip. And then that didn't go over well, so they pulled back. Clearly, though, that's just one part of it. This is already happening. Don't forget all these conspiracy theory things that have been relegated to the corner about people with their phones sinking to their bodies and so on. Now, I haven't found any evidence that I couldn't I couldn't find a way to prove that. So that's something I, I ultimately leave alone because I, I don't just throw things out that I can at least in some way verify. But think about how what the overlap is right there. A pro, literally something that could be injected into your body, a gel that can sync with a smartphone and give immediate insights to your body. I mean, my God, that's terrifying, especially if it happened without your knowledge. Information generated by their injectable biosensor would be, quote, securely shared and accessible to, quote, individuals, physicians, and public health practitioners. That's pretty broad. The current push for a national contact tracing system, Whitney points out, based on civilians' private health data, is likely to expand that data sharing. We saw this happen in Israel. Conveniently fitting with DARPA's years-old goal of creating a national web-based database of preemptive diagnoses. Profusa is also backed by Google, of course, which is intimately involved in these new mass surveillance contact tracing initiatives. Just coincidental, of course, and counts for former Senator Majority Leader William Frist among its board members. They are also partnered with, of course, the National Institute of Health. Big surprise. Now let's talk about living foundries. Another long-standing DARPA program, now overseen by BTO as well, is known as Living Foundries. According to DARPA's website, Living Foundries, quote, aim to enable adaptable, scalable, and on-demand products of synthetic molecules by programming the fundamental, fundamental, excuse me, metabolic processes of biological systems. Starting to sound familiar with the Charles Lieber. Always, these, are, these are ways to program your body. 
And we've talked about the overlap of the brain-machine interface, the virus-sized nanoparticle, the virus-sized transistors that can communicate with the outside, that can manipulate the body. This was what Charles Lieber was working on in 2011 that he succeeded in. He was, and apparently still is, the leading expert on this exact kind of nanotechnology. Virus-sized transistors that act like biological biological material. He gets shuttled away in the beginning of all this because of some argument which is seemingly is still being fleshed out. And weirdly, he's still working on scientific studies right up until 2022, because that makes sense. He's a, he's a, he's a treasonous terror, whatever they call him, and yet he's still working on studies with China. It's clearly there's more going on. My concern is that this was what they worked on. And the overlap with what Elon Musk is working on and where this all seems to be going is his living foundries. Through Living Foundries, DARPA is transforming synthetic biomanufacturing. Think Biden's direction of the new bioeconomy, guys. All comes together into a predictable engineering practice supportive of a broad range of national security objectives. That is literally what their quote says. What does that even mean? So li- internal biomanufacturing that's supportive of national security? That sure sounds great. Sign me up. The types of research this Living Foundries program supports involves the creation of artificial life, including the creation of artificial genetic material, creation of, quote, entirely new organisms, using artificial genetic material to, quote, add new capacities to human beings, i.e. genetic modifying humans through the insertion of synthetically created genetic material. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? It is that the objective is different. We're watching this happen right now. And the overlap with the brain-machine interface is pretty hard to miss. Another potential application being actively investigated by DARPA, again, in 2020 and before this, is, a, is its biodesign program, which is examining the creation of synthetic organisms that are created to be immortal and programmed with a kill switch, allowing a synthetic yet organic organism to be, quote, turned off at any time. Now, I'm sure plenty of you are going, wait a minute now. We've been seeing a lot of these weird videos, which again, something I can't really prove, of people in weird ways spinning and collapsing and just dying. And of course, it gets called conspiracy theory and very well could be not real. But this is an interesting overlap. It says, however, these genetic kill switches could also be inserted into actual humans through artificial chromosomes, which, just as they have the potential to extend life, also have the potential to cut it short. Now, we just talked about this in regard to the other conversation we had about what these things could potentially be doing. We talked about, I think, it, I don't forget it was the Granzyme B or the Interleukin 10, all these new things. But the point is, one of them was talking about how it literally, when, when overproducing, basically creates aging. My point was, what is that? And why is that? Are they literally playing and testing to figure out how to do this? They're testing on your body to find out if they can cut short or extend life. I mean, that's literally what all this seems to be focused on. The point is here, she's literally talking about, yet again, the idea that people can be inserted with something that can be shut off. And I'll tell you, we're watching things that look weirdly just like that. Now, I'm not saying I can prove that, but we damn well better be asking the question. It says, in addition, other DARPA experiments involve the use of genetically modified viruses... That sounds familiar. That insert genetic material into human cells. Gee, just like the vaccine or injection they're giving. Specifically neurons in the brain in order to, quote, tweak human brain chemistry. 
That's pretty alarming. Well, here's what it says here. Next generation neurosurgical neurotechnology. It says, since 2002, guys, one year after the 9-11 false flag, DARPA has acknowledged its efforts to create a brain-machine interface. I mean, you don't, we just can't miss the overlap with what's going on in this massive PSYOP on Twitter right now. Now, this is one of the goals of DARPA's next-generation neurosurgical neurotechnology program, or N3, involves using non-invasive or minimally invasive brain chip computer interfaces to read and write directly onto the brain. Now, how do you actually test all this stuff in a real-world setting? Because the point is, that might be exactly what just happened. And again, they've all often argued that it should have been any of this stuff. If decided needs to be done, should be done without you knowing it. Trust me, you look this up. Just look up moral bioenhancement. You will find numerous articles and arguments about why it should be done without you knowing, because it's the best for everybody. According to one recent report on DARPA's entry program, this is crazy, and it, one example of what they call minimal, minimally invasive technologies would involve, quote, an injection of a virus carrying light-sensitive sensors or other chemical, biotech, or self-assembling nanobots that can reach individual neurons and control their activity independently without damaging sensitive tissue. Well, that's not alarming at all. Well, seeing as how the self-assembling nanobots or possibly the graphene oxide overlap could be something that's involved or any of this stuff the injection of a virus or the idea that you're doing all of this stuff overlaps with some of the things they're playing with right now to act independently, to act, to control their activity. We've talked about the, the ferret and nanotechnology discussion. That's also a very real thing talking about literally controlling somebody's activities and brain via a ferret injection or more complicated than that, but that we've gone through that in depth, but it says program artificial memories of fear, desire, and experiences directly into the brain. That's horrifying. I mean, that's, that is shattering your reality. You wouldn't even know any better. I mean, this is like Matrix stuff, guys. That is where they're going. Now, it's a, no, and just men, she mentions even Elon Musk in this article, by the way, back in 2020, about Neuralink. Human bioreactors. One of the last couple parts I want to get into here. DARPA saving us from COVID-19. In January, none other than the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, or CEPI, announced it would begin funding vaccine candidates for the coronavirus outbreak long before it became a major global issue. Think about that. And, of course, funded the ones that nobody thought were going to succeed. Because that makes sense, right? Founded in 2017 by the governments of Norway and India, along with the World Economic Forum, of course, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. CEPI only chose two pharmaceutical companies to receive funding for their efforts to develop a vaccine for COVID-19, Moderna and Inovio Pharmaceuticals, which, by the way, is not off the table. As previously mentioned, these two companies are DARPA-backed firms, that include Moderna, guys, that frequently tout their strategic alliance with DARPA in press releases on their websites. There, I mean, right there is your immediate overlap to DARPA-funded Moderna injections and the overlap with everything we just talked about. In Moderna's case, and I'm and and, um, from the NIH side of it and Fauci, you've got the Pfizer overlap with the people he's working with. I mean, this is very, in my opinion, clear. In Moderna's case, DARPA financed the production and development of their RNA vaccine production platform. I mean, she's talking about this in 2020, guys. 
You just got to give that. That is incredible. And their RNA therapy candidate for the Chikungunya virus, their first foreign infectious disease, was developed in direct collaboration with the agency. So they'd already worked on this, guys. They already made a plat an, an RNA vaccine platform focused on a different virus, and it already worked with Moderna and DARPA to make this happen. They were already doing this with DARPA. And then DARPA just, like Homer Simpson and that meme, just quietly folded back into the bushes, and they're still doing the same thing. Since 2016, Moderna's RNA vaccine program, you know, because it was failing repeatedly, received $100 million in funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The Gates Foundation has since poured millions directly into both Moderna's and Inovio's COVID-19 vaccine efforts. Gates' backing of DNA and RNA vaccines is significant given that Gates, a billionaire with unparalleled influence and control over the global health policy, recently asserted that the best options for a COVID-19 vaccine are these same vaccines. You know, the ones that continue to fail, that it just somehow magically knew would succeed, despite the fact that they had never before been approved for use in humans. Yet, thanks to the emergency authorizations activated due to the current crisis, thank you, Donald Trump, both Moderna's and Inovio's testing for these vaccines had skipped animal trials and gone straight to human testing. And guess what we found out with the, hum with the animal trials? All the things that we knew we would find that RFK Jr. and plenty of others pointed out, right? That you have very clear examples of the antibody-dependent antibody -dependent enhancement, molecular mimicry, pathogenic priming, all the things they would have found there, and they found after the fact once it had already been given to people. Then they had to justify giving it to everybody because it wasn't fair. They are also set to be fast-tracked for widespread use in a matter of months. It's 2020. That's what happened. They are not only Gates' favorites to be the new vaccine, but are also slated to be the first to complete clinical trials and garner emergency U.S. government authorization, and especially Moderna's vaccine, which is being jointly developed with the government NIH. Clearly. Finally, last paragraph. In this context, the current coronavirus crisis appears to be the perfect storm that will allow, maybe that was the storm that we were talking about, huh? And will allow DARPA's dystopian vision to take hold and burst forth from the darkest recesses of the Pentagon into full public view. However, DARPA's transhumanist vision for the military and for humanity presents an unprecedented threat, not just to human freedom, but an existential threat to human existence and the building blocks of biology itself. That is not hyperbolic. That is not fear-mongering. That is important and relevant. And my God, guys, if we can't see the danger of what is seemingly happening, at least the possibility, realizing that they've done this before, I don't know. I don't, if we can't see past this, then I'm very worried for our, future, for our future. Now, here was the point about Biden's conversation. We talked about this September 13th. The controlled demolition of the COVID illusion ushers in the biomanufacturing and the American bioeconomy. Look at, look at where he's taken this and look at what they had aimed for in the very beginning. This is what they were trying to accomplish. So what else has been done along this? What else do we not know about? Probably a lot. And to finish here, here is just a couple of quick things from Davos in these conversations. Tony Blair, of all people, arguing for, guess what? A national digital infrastructure. Why? Great reset for climate change? Because of, you know, to make sure. No, no, for vaccines, guys. Got it. So now he, he, I think he's being accidentally clumsy with this. Right? I don't think they meant to be that transparent. Like, so we need to go digital with everything. 
because all the other excuses will know because mRNA vaccines. That's per, that's not what you're supposed to say. I think that's the quiet part out loud. I don't think it's just about these things, but they need that to in- introduce the vaccine passports, the social credit score. But the national digital infrastructure is not being argued mostly for these injections right now. It's because we need the new future for elections, for whatever else they're screaming about. But he let the cat out of the bag right there. We should be helping countries to develop national digital infrastructure, which they will need the with these new vaccines. Why does that make sense? Why in the world would you need national digital infrastructure with the vaccines? No, you see, he meant vaccine passports. That's what he meant. That's where this is going. There's a huge impetus now for a national digital infrastructure. Digitization in in healthcare is, I think, one of the great game changers. You know, we should be helping countries to develop a national digital infrastructure, which they will need with these new vaccines. And then, you know, finally, it's, it's also about showing people and showing the political leadership that you can make a positive difference to your healthcare system by adopting these measures because they've got a they've got an impact beyond any particular disease and or or, or pandemic. Uh, yeah, that's a little more accurate than I think he meant. They got a hell of an impact outside of this. Probably the entire impact is outside of what they're telling you this is about. The impact is what we just went over, I think. This is a larger plan that goes far more, it's it's far more reaching than just what they're selling it to you for. Here's Robin Minotti pointing out just what we keep telling you. The real purpose of mass mRNA injections was not to save lives, but to normalize a new pharma market of mRNA gene modifications because the patents of normal medicines are expiring and pharma profits nosediving. Because we are no longer buying this and they're trying to shift into some, this is, this is the new gen- genetic manipulation age what we've been telling you about, warning about. And here, again, just to point this out, well, this was the tweet from before, you know, be, a lot of people were framing this statement. The last time we were here in Davos in January 2020, you were talking about COVID vaccines. You're like, what? What do you mean? Yeah, it's, that, that's exactly what happened and they were being made. That's the point we made before. That it, the Davos happened, I think, 20 to 24th. After the, after the, the 13th, they were, in fact, working on these things. Doesn't make them safe or effective. Just means that it's not some shocking revelation to point out what he said. What he said was the truth. But my point was, Moderna began on the record, January 11th, 2020, far too much being repackaged as in today as, as new information. The bigger item being buried by this is how a Chinese genetic sequence was gladly accepted by Operation Warp Speed prior to even the public claim of isolation. This is the whole point, guys. The plan was the mRNA platform. The plan was to jump, the, to take the genetic code, probably from an, somebody working on the same program, to roll this in, to push this out based on this platform that was always being made. And God only knows what else is inside this thing. I just think it's so important that we understand that this was always the plan. And here, Bernie's tweets points out, a new group has been launched by the World Economic Forum. Guess what? It's the Universal Digital Payments Network. It was launched, this is today, so this was the 19th. As the global banks march humans even closer to total citizen control through digital ID and money control. Now, we just talked about that. He just said the digital, the digital, what was the word he used? The digital infrastructure, which, by the way, would include these kind of payment networks. So how exactly does a payment network help for vaccine? The digital infrastructure is about the passports and the social credit score. And that's why they need to control the money, because if you don't, if you go afoul of the credit score, well, they're going to turn off your money. This has been openly stated as the right thing to do. 
this was always the plan. And to take this to the extreme, this is posted on January 19th, 2023 on The Sociable. Hackable humans at the World Economic Forum. Yeah, they talked about this. Quote, we can decode faces in your mind, your PIN number to your bank account. Is that not what we just talked about? This is what they're talking about right now, guys. As they're giving, think about how crazy that is comparable to, to the injection conversation. And finally, U.S. obtains exclusion from NGOs from drafting AI treaty, January 17th, 2023. So as they develop the new artificial intelligence direction, guess what they're telling you? We don't want anybody to know what we're doing. Sort of like with Pfizer and everything else, these governments are just going, you know what, we don't even care what you think anymore. We don't care that you know we don't care. Civil society organizations, NGOs, which by the way, I don't trust anyway, but regardless, NGOs, civil society organizations have been excluded now from the drafting process of the first international treaty on artificial intelligence based on the sole request of the United States government. This is an international treaty. And they go, we don't want anybody, we don't want the NGOs there holding us accountable. The Council of Europe's Committee on Artificial Intelligence has been charged with developing a convention on artificial intelligence, focusing on human rights, of course, and democracy and the rule of law, or the lip service therein. The point is, this is a massive like they're calling this like the constitution of, of like they're doing this for the digital world, for the artificial intelligence. They're mapping out what your future is and they're not allowing anybody to watch. That's how they see you and their, their place in all of this. It says the Strasbourg based body is an international organization counting 46 members, including EU 27, the United Kingdom, Turkey and Ukraine. Russia was, of course, recently expelled because, you know, terrible bad guy. The United States, Canada, Mexico and Israel are observer countries not bound by the body, but can sign if they like it. The American representative explicitly mentioned that it did not want to disclose its negotiating positions publicly to non-country representatives. One point Washington might have had an interest in public, uh, publicizing is that it, ha- it has been pushing for limited, limiting the scope of the AI treaty only to public bodies, carving out the private sector in which American companies play a world-leading role. The point is, these people wanted to see this. They wanted to know what countries wanted what things, and they made sure nobody could see it. Following the U.S. proposal, the U.K. and Canada expressed support for the drafting group. Still, since during the, the, plena- uh, the plenary, there was, a, uh, there was no formal approval of the motion via consensus as, it usually, uh, as usual practice, Delegates assumed it was one among the many put forth during the discussion. It says, however, the Council of Europe Secretariat included the U.S. proposal in the minutes as if the decision had not been taken. So basically, they're arguing that the decisions were made off the record, but they're saying they weren't. The point is, this is what happens when nobody's accountable. According to sources informed of the matter that spoke to this TV station under the condition of anonymity, of course, the Secretariat was pressured by the United States as the institution has a diplomatic interest in getting its treaty signed by the United States. So it's on the record the U.S. is bullying everybody to make this what they want. The United States' mission to the European Union declined for comment. And it says the attempt to sneak in a decision about without a proper discussion did not go unnoticed. Several NGOs, just many of them listed here, there are um, where was it, mobilized against being excluded from the drafting process. Several countries, including Turkey and Poland, Slovenia, Australia, Austria, Japan, took the floor asking for the participation of these groups. So a lot of them involved were like, look, we, the NGOs need to be a part of this. And of course, the U.S. just said no, because that's 
because they get to decide for the world, apparently. Representatives were split on the matter. The commission proposed to ask for a postponement until they could reach the, you know, a common understanding. Which the argument in the article is they did this just to wait until they could. The point is, I don't think people agree in some ways with the U.S.'s forceful point in this, which seems to suggest they're the ones that have things they don't want people to see. Sounds kind of used usual to me. As a result, it says, on the following day's session, there was a consensus that only now potential parties could be involved. So now they want to step further and kicked out all the other ones. And that included Israel and the rest of them are not, are not part of it. So what's actually happening is that they're so keeping so close to the chest. I think we kind of know where this is going. In the future, it says the drafting process and initial discussions will take place behind closed doors. Why? To avoid the specific positions of countries becoming known. Or more specifically, to avoid the U.S. position from being known, because they're the only ones pushing back on this. The text will be shared with the NGOs after the fact, which will have the chance to comment in only in writing, or orally, I guess, before the next meeting. However, civil society organizations fear their input will be easily disregarded at that stage, obviously. They don't, that's lip service. They're going, go ahead and write it down. We'll care about it. The same way the, the WHO goes, go as, give us your comments and we'll make sure and omit the ones we don't like. These concerns are nourished by the fact that these inputs would be discussed behind closed doors before moving to the next chapter. The lack of transparency is another concern and there will be no mention of which country proposed which changes. The NGOs will not even be able to see the final draft. So it's meaningless. They can put in all these comments and they're going to do what they want anyway. This is the current status of government, guys. They don't care. They've never cared. It seems like they're pulling the mask off. They're drafting the artificial intelligence future or the, the guidelines therein, whatever that really means or whether it's really artificial intelligence. This is creating a future step that we don't have any involvement in and they won't even let the NGOs see what they're doing. The drafting group started its work with the conclusions chapter, a rather odd part of the text, but less controversial than other parts where the participating countries are divided on whether to exclude AI systems developed for national defense and on the access to remedy. The point is, clearly, we think we know where the focus will be for the U.S. government, as it always is. Artificial intelligence. It's obvious that there's differences here. I think what's clear, my opinion, is that the U.S. government does not want people to see that their focus is always what it is always on the war focused mentality, always on doing things that suppress, that control, that remove your rights and they just don't want you seeing so just like pfizer says give us 75 years they're going we're not even gonna let you see anymore guys because we don't care what you think welcome to the new normal this is what they built this is what they're forcing you into thank god we're pushing back keep fighting guys because it is damn obvious that you were right they know that even scott adams is admitting that that you were that you won that's the best he can do apparently so keep fighting guys because you're making a difference I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. The message to unvaccinated Americans is this. What more is there to wait for? What more do you need to see? We've made vaccinations free, safe, and convenient. The vaccine is FDA approval. Over 200 million Americans have gotten at least one shot. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin, and your refusal has cost all of us. Get vaccinated. So you basically said, 
this is going to be like, well, it's almost like, I, you probably don't see it like this, there's two different classes of people. If you're vaccinated or if you're unvaccinated, you get all these rights. If you are vaccinated... That is what it is. So, yep. Yeah, if you are anti-mandate, you are absolutely anti-vax. I don't care what your personal vaccination status is. If you support, champion, give a green light, give comfort to, support anybody who argues against the vaccine, you are an anti-vaxxer. Absolutely. Your personal vaccination status is utterly irrelevant. If you campaign against the mandate, if you campaign against people being vaccinated in vulnerable settings, teachers in classrooms, I'll be really clear, at that point in time, people are actually supporting the idea of a teacher being unvaccinated in a remote community classroom with kids who cannot be vaccinated. I reject that, I still reject it. And if you are out there in any way, shape or form campaigning against this mandate, you are absolutely anti-vax. Dear supporters and dear followers, today an Austrian newspaper published the rules the government wants to introduce on the 1st of January already here in Austria. Those rules say that if you're not vaccinated, you can get fined up to 2,000 euros each time you're caught unvaccinated. This can mean, and this is explicitly um, being said so, that you can also get fined more than once a day also three times, four times, five times if you're unvaccinated. If you refuse to pay this, the government wants to put us into a, an, a separate prison which, is which has to be created for unvaccinated people up to one year. Vaccinated. 
Thankfully, the mandates are letting up and both sides of the war stumble back to the new normal. The unvaccinated are the heroes of the last two years as they allowed us all to have a control group in the great experiment and highlight the shortcoming of the COVID vaccines. The unvaccinated carry many battle scars and injuries as they are the people we tried to mentally break. Yet no one wants to talk about what we did to them and what they forced the science to unveil. We knew that the waning immunity of the fully vaccinated had the same risk profile as others within society as the minority of the unvaccinated, yet we marked them for special persecution. You see, we said that they had not done the right thing for the greater good by handing their bodies and medical autonomy over to the state. Many of the so-called health experts and political leaders in Australia admitted the goal was to make life almost unlivable for the unvaccinated which was multiplied many times by the collective mob, with a fight taken into workplaces, friendships, and family gatherings. Today, the hard truth is none of it was justified as we took a quick slide from righteousness to absolute cruelty. We might lay the blame on our leaders and health experts for the push, but each individual within society must be held accountable for stepping into the well-laid-out trap. We did this despite knowing full well that principled opposition is priceless when it comes to what goes inside our bodies and we let ourselves be tricked into believing that going into another ineffective lockdown would be the fault of the unvaccinated and not the fault of the toxic policy of ineffective vaccines. We took pleasure in scapegoating the unvaccinated because after months of engineered lockdowns by political leaders blinded by power, having someone to blame and turn to burn at the stake felt good. We believed we had logic, love, and truth on our side, so it was easy to wish death upon the unvaccinated. Those of us who ridiculed and mocked the non-compliant did it because we were embarrassed by their courage and principles and didn't think the unvaccinated would make it through unbroken. And we turned the holdouts into punching bags. Lambie, Carr, Chant, Andrews, McGowan, Gunner, and the other cast of hundreds in prominent roles. And we here in America, we could add Fauci and the rest of them and Biden in prominent roles need to be held to account for vilifying the unvaccinated in public and fueling angry social media mobs. The mobs, the masked Nazis, and the vaccine disciples have been embarrassed by betting against the unvaccinated because mandates only had the power we gave them. It was not compliance that ended domination by big pharma companies, Bill Gates and his many organizations, and the World Economic Forum. It was thanks to the people we tried to embarrass, ridicule, mock, and tear down. We should all try and find some inner gratitude for the unvaccinated as we took the bait by hating them because their perseverance and courage bought us the time to see we were wrong. So if mandates ever return for COVID or any other disease or virus, hopefully more of us will be awake and see the rising authoritarianism that has no concern for our well-being and is more about power and control. The war of the unvaccinated was lost, on the unvaccinated was lost. And we should all be very thankful for that.